0: How's it going? Can you hear me out there? you in a wind tunnel? Uh, sorry, I'm trying to adjust my volume a little bit. So, okay. Can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, I hear you. You sound like you're at the bottom of a trash can.
0: Uh-oh.
2: <laughs> you
1: figuring him out. <laughs> I about that. You don't live on the street, do you, Mike? Because I feel really bad if you do. Just dragging a trailer
0: full of comics behind him. <laughs> Actually, my house is built out of comic boxes. It's like the gingerbread house, except with comic boxes. <laughs> one, one, one heavy
2: rainstorm and he's gone. <laughs> and now, it's
0: time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang.
2: These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor.
0: This looks like a job for Superman. Let's roll. Hey, we're here for Captain America. It's a fine man. It's the
3: rocketeer. Hulk.
0: Smash. Gentlemen, you're up.
1: Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Comics Monthly Monday, number 54. My name is Scott Gardner and I am joined, as always, by my good friend Chris Honeywell. Hello! (laughs) And Paul Spataro. How you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well, man. So here we are, starting our sixth year. Can you believe it? craziness
4: so basically we've been here for five years we have been here
1: for but I like five that
2: years.
4: I like that starting our sixth year it sounds a little more See, I'm, like- I'm
2: not sure that this isn't starting the third year because I'm not sure time actually began before I came on <laughs> it's just my own personal <laughs>
1: Thanks. oh the ego on this guy it's unbelievable. <laughs>
4: I know. <laughs> if there's anything more important, to quote Zaphod Beeblebrox, if there's anything more important here than my ego, it should be found and shot immediately. Oh my god, I'm listening, I'm getting caught
1: up on Hey Kids Comics right now, and as I was walking in the house tonight after work, I was listening to a podcast all the way home, and the episode I'm listening to right now, I think I paused it. Right after Andy just said the exact same thing. Oh really? The yeah. exact phrase. That's that's freaky. That's right.
4: Really think alike do. I guess. This is true. This is very true. Right. minds think like Douglas Adams, I guess. Yeah. So, comic books. What's new for you in the world of comic books? Um you know, funny you mentioned that. Just today I got my the final half of my Delivery from Kelly Logue, which means two gigundous books of, you know, boxes of comics. gigundus. One was filled just with regular, you know, issues of comics. The other one was mixed comics and trades and a nice hardcover of Ray Bradbury short stories. And this time it was a more eclectic group. It was, it strayed a bit more from, I noticed planetary trade. The a trade of planetary number two, which somebody sent me the trade of number one to do on Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic. Right. I really liked it. I, I need to read that. I heard that's great and I never I got it. I really to. liked it and it left me hanging. So now I can reread it and have number two there. And, I, you know, I mean, I just got them today. So I only had a chance to, you know, sift through them and look. But I saw a lot of early. Saga of the Swamp Things, you know, pre Alan Moore, Saga of the Swamp Things, um, some Daredevils in there, some giant-sized man things oh, flopping nice. around in there. Um, I'm good, thank you. Some other, um, <laughs> more alternative stuff, you know, um, some Peter Cooper comics, there were some Peter Bags in there, it, just a really neat group of comics, so I have to get on the... Sorting and cataloging of them, so we can figure out there. There, there's going to be a lot of uh, Two true freaks giveaways and contests in the near future involving you know uh, distributing Kelly Logue's comics to the far reaches of the earth. As a matter of fact, we should have some contest to see who the our furthest away listener is and send them a comic book.
1: I like that idea. Let's do that. You can pay the shipping, and uh, I'll, I'll do the rest. I'll pay strips. the
4: shipping. I'll pay the shipping. <laughs> I do like that idea. Though. I'm on it. They're at my house, so I'm the one mailing them out, no matter what. <laughs> I'll
2: mail them to you so that you can mail <laughs> you them. Can
4: mail them out. Yeah, exactly. All
2: but, right.
1: Here's how we're gonna work this. We'll, <laughs> we'll make this as an, an official thing. But you gotta prove it somehow, and the way I'm thinking, you gotta you gotta send a picture along with with your submission of you standing like by the by like the sign in your town or
4: something, city limits or something, yeah, or something that just or you know the general store that says you know, Hick. I, I don't know, I wanted to say Hicktown, USA, but I have to imagine we're thinking like Singapore or something like right, this, exactly, you know? yeah, someplace like you mean Brooklyn U- wouldn't do it. Nope. You could try. I mean, you could put it. as a, Actually, you're a Demonzo Corp employee, so you're. Um,
2: <laughs> it's not. You're not allowed Demanz Corp employees and their families. Yep. That's right. Dang it.
3: <laughs>
2: I think up to.
4: I think after second cousin, you're okay. If they're if they're beyond second cousin, they won't be disqualified. <laughs> Just like in in marriage. <laughs> The comic will be to be announced. Maybe we'll try to figure out what they like and see if we can find something in there that's to their tastes. But uh, I like that idea. So um, you can either you can either send it to two true at gmail.com or you can go on our two true freaks Facebook page, which I like even better because that makes it way easier for us.
2: Yep, because it lets other people see that they're doing it, and if they look at that and say, "Hey, I live further away." Maybe it inspires other people to do it. There you well, go. Well, I remember getting Gmail accounts because they
4: were like, "Get a Gmail account and avoid all that that spam." Yeah, good if job. I avoid, they mean attract every bit of spam <laughs> ever in the universe. I didn't see that in the fine print.
1: But. Exactly.
4: It's made me want to speak Russian, though, so I know what half these <laughs> uh, these letters are saying to me. But that's about all I got. All I got. You got anything? Uh,
2: Comic and the only thing I have is that in the last couple of days, uh, the trailers have shown up for Thor mm-hmm. and the uh, well, not really a trailer, but so much as clips that aren't supposed to be up for uh, Guardians. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked at I watched both and they both look awesome.
1: Yes, I don't, I don't I know, I like how uh, Rocket
2: Raccoon looks. Yes, yeah, he looks, he looks really looks good. good and Groot looks really good. I mean, they don't show him for long. But he, but he looks really it's good. I mean, well, what's see, that? I he didn't. Lo- he looks like he's supposed to look, is what I thought. Everybody looked, but it could have easily looked very, very CGI. And yeah, it didn't. I mean, it's it's a poor image that they put up. So you know, you can't really. Yeah, do it's at beautiful.
4: an angle and filmed on a potato and all that. But
2: yeah, yeah. but it didn't look very CGI, at least from that shot. See, I'm a little confused
1: because there's those rumors going around right now that Vin Diesel is going to be cast in in a Marvel movie, and the latest rumor I heard was that he was going to play Groot. So how the hell does that all work if they're already showing footage out there at some con's?
2: Of All right. The rumor Groot. I heard is he that could be the voice, be the voice of Groot.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Because the
2: character is going to be fully CGI'd. Uh, yeah, that they makes
1: might sense. even
4: they might even hook the little ping pong balls up to him. You know, a little bit. Who knows? Well, wasn't uh, wasn't he the voice of the Iron Giant? Yes. Yeah, that works.
1: Oh. Then
2: yeah, that's I-
4: funny. I just got an iron gi- little Iron Giant figure from a garage sale. That I just put up on my shelf.
1: You know what? That's that's a potential uh,
4: commentary monthly Monday right there. I love that movie. There I were... would do that. I would do that this month, man. I love that movie. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, Sounds there we like go. There's a confluence of Iron Giant stuff going on. So yeah, I like that movie a lot. I was very impressed with that. And one. we can tangentially connect it to Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> there you go. Because of the Vin Diesel connection. That works for me. Someday we'll find it—the Vin Diesel connection.
2: <laughs> Wasn't that in the Muppet movie? It was. A lot of people Vin didn't Diesel know connection. That Vin Diesel was Kermit the Frog, but. <laughs> but uh, like in in the Thor uh, trailer, one of the things—unless I miss—unless I saw it wrong, it looks like uh, Rene Russo has a sword battle in it, which kind of makes up for one of the failures of the first movie that they underused her. Was she Sith? No, she plays uh, Thor's mother.
1: Oh, okay, yes, all right. Uh, yeah, Frigga or... Fr- 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 how do they pronounce Frig- Frig- Frig-ia or Frigia or Phrygia, something Frig- like that. Yeah. Frigid? Yeah. yeah. That's right, Renee. Okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> but I, I, I did think she was underused in the first movie. So, yeah, Extremely, yes. Uh, considering she is a pretty well-known actress, too. I, I heard there were scenes that she filmed that never made it into the movie. So I think, you know, this could make up a little bit of that if they give her, you know, she doesn't have to be a focus of much, but, you know, give her a, at least, you know, a little bit of a scene.
1: I have very, very high hopes for this movie. I hope it doesn't let me down, but I'm really
4: looking forward to it. looks to really
1: it. good. I think it looks fantastic, yeah. I've
4: seen it a couple times on the big screen, and it was pretty nice looking.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm psyched. Yeah, I am too, and I keep having to try to temper my enthusiasm for these movies because you know it's much better to have low expectations and be surprised at how good it is than the other way around that's
1: i think that's the danger right now with these marvel movies is that they have been steadily awesome and in some ways have built upon each other to this this fever pitch uh, that was the avengers and the avengers even you know with the movies being so good leading up to it i still went into avengers i think with fairly low expectations cuz i Me didn't too. think it would work and it did and because they they made the impossible possible i think that just continued to build upon itself and that's why i think at the end of the day as good a movie as it was i was ultimately kind of let down with iron man 3 i have to be honest i enjoyed the movie And I enjoyed it a lot better second time around. But the first viewing experience in the theater, I walked out really kind of disheartened, like, damn, that wasn't that just wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And I don't think it's fair because there comes there has to come a leveling off point, especially with the individual movies where you're like, okay, they can they can only continue to
2: to top this fever pitch so much, you know, where you know what I mean? So, no, absolutely, and I, I think I was the same way. I walked away from Iron Man 3 a little disappointed, and it wasn't because it was a bad movie. It's just because I let my expectations exceed the point where they should have.
1: Exactly. I was
2: basically going expecting Iron Man 3 to really be Avengers 2.
1: Avengers 2, exactly. Yep, that's exactly it. And and that's
2: not fair. I, I need No, to you have to
4: sort little. of think of them on their, on their tier of, you know, I guess tentpole-ness, you know. Yeah.
2: But I think I've pulled that back, and I think right now, although I'm, I have high expectations for Thor, I think I have realistic expectations as to where it can be. Exactly, and, and I got to keep the, keep it that way. And, and I think I'm at the point now because I've become very spoiler adverse with these movies. And I think I'm at the point now where I probably will try to avoid any future trailers because it seems like the closer you get to the movie, the more they start to reveal in the trailers to get people excited. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't I don't want them to spoil it for me. So I think I may just put a moratorium on on Thor information until the movie comes out now.
1: I don't blame you at all. Yeah, I've been I've been doing that to a certain degree. I'll watch like the teaser, I'll watch the first official trailer, and then that's about as far as I'm going, because you're right. They do get more and more spoilerific as they go along, and I don't want to be too spoiled on these things. I, I want the big wow moments to wow me in the theater, not in the trailer. So, yeah, I agree right. with you. Exactly.
4: I, I think Thor, like the, the other, I guess for lack of a better term, Second tier Marvel movies. It'll be more character centric, right? It won't be a big, huge special effects extravaganza. They'll save that up for two or three set pieces, and the rest of it's you know will be pro- concerning Thor and Natalie Natalie Portman and Loki and 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 all that. And they've been having really good luck with that formula. So that's and I noticed with the with the trailer. That there's action sequences in it, but the way it's cut, there, you, it doesn't look like there's an awful lot of big special effect sequences, except for that giant thing coming in and, you know, carving its way through the land. Right. So I'm thinking it's going to, you know, it's going to have that Shakespearean, that pop culture
2: Shakespeare feel to it like last time. Well, and I, I think their biggest uh, their biggest asset going into this is that they really struck gold with uh, Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Mm-hmm. And I think they need to to ride that train a little bit and
1: the play lady him train
2: up. that bring that'll put the ladies that brings the sleep. ladies.
1: Yeah, they love
2: him.
4: Hey, we went did to see really? um yeah. yesterday, and you know the ladies were there for Matt Damon. But yeah. I thought the
2: ladies were there for Chris Hemsworth on Thor. I didn't think it was Tom Hiddleston that did that. They do yeah.
4: though. The women love him
2: okay yeah ladies love loki (laughs) i mean just just the whole you know scheming evil kind of thing he just plays it so sly and so well they love and and i thought he, he he ramped it up in the avengers after what he did in thor i thought he took it to a new level
4: yeah well i mean he play. i mean a the the bad guys are always more interesting than the good guys and B, and he's one of those bad guys who's in a shade of gray. He can be he you can, you can utilize him for your side, if it's to his benefit. But he's really tricky, and the ladies love that shit. Love that shit. Lts, at least in movies, they do. <laughs> I'm
1: definitely looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think the first movie played it smart. You know, I've I've heard a lot of of criticism of that first movie. Uh, you know, that it didn't light the world on fire and that sort of thing. But I, I think. It lit
4: the world on fire more than probably they expected it to. Exactly.
1: I, I think, you know, and I've even heard that maybe they played it a little too safe. I think they just played it smart. They weren't sure that they were going to be able to sell that character and sell that concept. So they played it smart and they didn't go over the top. In either direction, either the Asgard or the earthly stuff. And I think that the the blending that they did worked nicely. But now that they know that that format works, they can really pull out the stops and do a a straight on, you know, like Lord of the Rings style. Asgard
4: story. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And I think it'll really blow our socks off. At least I'm hoping so. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping I'm not. You know, Again, getting my hopes too high, but I think the second one's really going to be the one that impresses. I was impressed with the first one simply that they made a concept work that I didn't think that they could make work on the screen, and they did. I thought they did a great job. I, I only have really one major quibble with that whole movie, but I'm hoping that the second one goes, okay, well, now we know this works, let's really play with it. and I, I think that's what they're prepared it. to do. I really do. I think it's going to be fun. Well, all I really have, um, I have not, unfortunately, I've not gotten any new comics lately. I haven't really had time for reading comics. Um, As anybody listening to uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday will be hearing, I'm kind of hooked on the legacy of the Force novels right now, so that's where all my reading time is going. Not that I have a whole lot of reading time lately anyway, but that's where uh, all my focus is going, so I'm really into that. So... Talk about the other thing that I'm really into, and that is uh, I've been trying to get caught up on uh, all my comics podcasts and everything, and there's been a new one that's been sprung on us that uh, I'm really, really, really excited about. So we have decided, rather than hear me go on and on and on talking about it, we're going to go ahead and we're going to bring in the creative genius behind this new podcast on the Two True Freaks Network. So we've invited in our good friend Mike Voiles from Mike's Amazing World of Comics to talk all about his new show. Welcome to the show,
0: Mike. Hi, guys. How's it going? Going awesomely. How are you? Uh, It's going okay. I've been a really busy couple weeks, and adding the the new podcast has been uh, extra time out of my uh, already busy schedule.
4: Oh, yeah. I know all about that.
0: Yeah, and I want to thank you guys for putting out the uh, your you know how to build a podcast episode two or whatever. It actually uh, made me almost re-record the whole my whole episode two. So <laughs> it's like, oh, this isn't very good. So I better I better re-record parts of it. So I
2: think I think no one's more critical of podcasting performances than the person who who's
0: the one yeah. being recorded. Well, I'm not doing any like fancy music or anything like you guys do. It's just the sound of my own voice, which is uh, not not pleasing to me. But (laughs) hopefully, never pleasing.
4: Well, it's some people.
0: It's pleasing to hear their own voice, but
2: yep, most people I know (laughs) don't like
0: (laughs) it. I was gonna say, I think Scott's like that, maybe, but I don't know him that well to make that comment.
1: No, it's true. I love the sound (laughs) of my own voice.
4: Now, I, whenever I listen back to recordings of myself and I'm talking for more than a minute at a time, I want to punch myself in the face, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to punch you in the face, That's the way too. I
1: feel. <laughs> a
4: lot of feel. that way about me, yes, I know.
2: No, seriously, I, sometimes I listen to and I'm thinking, why the hell would anybody want to listen to this guy? And I'm talking, you know, with me.
0: <laughs> I think you and guys do all do a good listen- job. I appreciate that. <laughs> definitely inspired me to get off my ass and make a podcast, or make excuse me, make a goddamn podcast. <laughs> I tell you what I really like
2: about it is you're doing something that nobody else out there is doing that, I, that I'm that i aware of. I don't think anybody else could do it. <laughs> it and, that, and that's what makes it really good. It's, it's educational. I, I really feel like I'm learning something well, as I'm sitting in my car listening to you.
4: Well, it reminded me of back in the 90s, there was a series of uh, – Beatles bootlegs that came out. And the person who made them found all the studio recordings that they possibly could, you know, of them working on the songs in the studio, different takes, the different so takes that the they put together. Albums? No, all, just Beatles. It was They were bootlegged. Somebody snuck them out of the studio, and there's thousands and thousands of hours of Beatles in the studio. And they took them, and they all put them in chronological order so you could look at the cd and on the back of it it was like here's all the takes for you know please please me and you know when they were recorded in the studio track one uh, you know and then on this day they they did this song and then there was also a, a book that came out called the beatles recording studio or wait no, the beatles recording sessions i think it was called and it had them all just listed in chronological order and you could take these cds and read in the book you know about what the beatles were doing that day and what they were thinking of when they were doing it and actually listen to it tra you know piece by piece day by day and like get the whole story that's sort of what i picture your podcast and and your website being you know you have your website and then the podcast is sort of like an illustration of it off to the sure. side that people can use
0: yeah, I just don't want it to be too educational and uh, you know dull. <laughs> if I remember my uh, my school classes too well, you know those can, could be pretty. You know, here's the history lesson of this. You know, I don't want it to be like that. So well, remember uh, what Scott
4: Gardner said in in the Get Off Your Ass and Make a Podcast Part Two. You know, um, talk about what they what they mean to you. You know exactly, what the- exactly,
0: and that's what I that's that's one of the reasons I kind of re-recorded episode two because I was like. It was getting a little too, you know, informational and less, uh, you know, uh, personal as far as that goes. Uh, I don't know if the re-recording helped, but it seemed to be a little bit uh, better, even though the the episode was like Frankenstein together. Do that's, you, uh,
4: that's what all our episodes are like. <laughs> <laughs> So far,
0: I've only been
1: able to hear uh, the first episode, and I feel bad that I haven't sent you feedback yet because I really did enjoy the episode. I'm just, I'm so behind on all my shows right now that I've been just listening like crazy and not really writing anybody, just trying to get caught up. But, uh, but I did uh, listen to, it and I really enjoyed it. And I was wondering, do you do you actually own any of those books, or are do you are you reading all of those in? Um in uh, some sort of reprint or digital format.
0: So the my earliest book is More Fun Twenty Four, so it's slightly after the the period I'm covering right now. Uh huh. Um, but I actually do. I have wow. most of the books in microfiche, and then I have the the remainder in digital. So, are you the one that sent me the digital copy of New Fun Number Six? I was, yeah.
1: Okay, I because I, I was going to say somebody sent me that if you wanted a copy, but then I got to thinking it might have been you <laughs> that sent me the copy.
0: Yeah, you know, I used to I own
1: did. that book, and uh, and I was yeah, hoping you that told you, would... me you
0: had a story of of getting that book. Uh, you know, it just fell into your lap or something like that. So
1: yeah, it was uh, about the time I was starting to like seriously collect comics. Um. Well, I, I guess I'd been collecting for a few years, but I hadn't really built a, a big collection yet. So I was kind of getting serious about wanting to, to to build a larger collection and just get some serious books in there and that sort of thing. This had to be about, oh, I don't know, about 89 or 90. Uh, I remember, you know, the girl I was dating at the time, and I know I was in the service. So I had a little bit of expendable money and everything. And there was a place that Chris and I used to go to when we were kids called the Globe Mini Mall. It was just little, like, uh, it was almost like an indoor flea market type of thing in Watertown. And there was this one antique dealer there that was kind of a dick. But every once in a while, oh, he'd get. Good. Yeah, he, you know the guy I'm talking about, right? It was all oh, the yeah. way in the back. Mm-hmm. He would get comics and, like, big little books and stuff from time to time. But his prices were usually outrageous. It usually wasn't much of a selection. And, like I say, the guy was a real dick and very unpleasant to deal with. He dealt with them like
4: antiques. Yeah. And he didn't like kids coming in, teenagers coming in and pawn through his stuff. He'd just give us a hairy eyeball the whole time. So I stopped in there one day
1: and was asking about comics and everything. And, and and he basically acted the same way he always acted. He was just kind of dismissive. You know, he was like, yeah, yeah, I got I got some new comics in, but it's nothing you're going to be interested in. You know, like. <laughs> but I was like, I was insistent and, and got him to show me what he had and everything. And he brought the stack out. And I can't remember any other book that was in there. But as soon as I saw that new fun, I knew exactly what it was. But I tried my best to just poker face it and not let him know that I knew I had just found something. And he was asking eighty five dollars on it and I talked him down to fifty eight dollars. Oh my god. <laughs> and bought it for fifty-eight bucks. And I held on to it for a long, long time. Um and I finally just sold it just a couple years back. Uh sold it and I trying to remember what I I want to say it was Eighteen hundred bucks I got out of it, something yeah. like that. It was enough to buy. I bought a top of the line computer and all this other shit with it and everything. So it was not. I loved owning it and everything, but it just got to a point where I needed the cash. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't justify just just holding on to it anymore. Essentially, and I knew I'd never, you know, be able to really build the collection around it or anything. But it was a great book to own because it has such a, a cool backstory. You know, with it being the first. Siegel and Schuster work and the first Doctor Occult and all that. You know, it was pretty cool to own.
0: Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's the first true DC Universe appearance as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was great to own. I miss owning it. You know, it was one of those books to brag about and everything, but at the end of the day, it was like, how can you justify, you know, holding on to a book like
4: that? You know, my philosophy now is like, if you had it and you owned it, and you sold it. You still had it. and You still owned yep, it. You still got memories. You got, memories. You, got yeah, you remember getting it. You got the story of finding it. And you're gonna find something else someday. Well, you know, one thing that really has put a lot
1: of salve on that on that wound, and you know, this isn't just to kiss your ass, Mike. I'm sincere about it. Was that you sent me that digital copy? Because that was my biggest regret all these years. Is that I sold it just prior to kind of. You know the whole internet age with scanning comics and all that. So I never had a copy of it. You know, I never had anything to look at again. I I'm not aware of that complete issue being reprinted anywhere.
0: So none, none of it has really been reprinted anywhere. These
1: yeah, and so I missed it. I just
0: or even even more rare books.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it was just one of those things that I knew once I sold it, I better try to remember it the best I could because I'd never see it again. And so finally getting a a really clean digital copy was awesome because, you know, now I don't miss it as much because, you know, it's I've got everything that was in there so I can look at it any time. That that's pretty cool
0: that that really helped a lot. Yeah, I was on the forefront of the scanning community, like back in the late '90s. So a lot of the golden age stuff that was put out there was put out there by my group. Um, Some of it's my, you know, books from my collection that that have made it out there. So when when you get those CBRs, especially the golden age and your book stuff, it may be my book. (laughs) Do you have a certain handle or a certain signature on any of them? Um, I usually don't uh, put a tag with them. Like a lot of them. a lot of guys will put tags with them now. Yeah. I don't. I know the earliest book I think I've scanned. Uh, well, I scanned the three more funds that I have, but those I've picked up recently. But I think Action number 17 was the, probably the first book I ever scanned. So I, I started with the early stuff.
1: I only ever scanned two books, and it was the two issues of GI Combat that um, are listed in the uh official crisis on infinite earth's crossover index yeah the monitor appearances well as it turns out one of them is incorrect anyway one of them is not actually a monitor appearance so it's funny but they're both out there with you know with my picture at the end of him it's chris it's the uh you remember the mm fries picture that you took. yes that's yeah, yes. the picture at the end of the book did i take that picture you took that picture
4: that's a old fashioned, old school Polaroid. Yep, yep. You look like a mutant in it. <laughs> your chin is just like. Um,
0: how do you
2: how do you scan a book without like destroying it?
0: You just have Very to be careful. <laughs> you, <just laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: you you
4: you don't scan it with like a big old. You don't take it into kinkos where they have the big old, heavy. You know even so most scanners and copiers have a really light top or a top that's you can set down lightly so you don't
0: squash whatever it is I don't even put the top down on it I just mm. put it on I just put it flat on the glass I usually use like a paperback book or something like that to lay on top of it so it lays flat it flat right and um, it works just fine the only time it really becomes a problem is is if you have a if you have spine damage, because if you have some spine roll or you know a spine that's yeah. barely holding together, mm-hmm. your book's not going to survive. So a lot of times, if my book's in well, a if it's in really nice condition, I don't want to scan it, and if it's in really really horrible condition, I don't want to scan it for those two reasons. So, I, I actually have one book I'd
2: like to scan, and of, of all things, it was the free giveaway that they had uh, Marvel had in the 1970s of an Evil Knievel book promoting uh-huh. the toy. Yeah, uh, at the time I remember that in 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 around 1974 or so, I took that and I mailed it to the Marvel offices, and somebody walked it around the office and had everybody sign it, and then they sent it back to me. and I'd like to scan it just for that
0: reason. Oh, cool! So it's got all the signatures and everything on it too, which makes it uh, unique.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's not just. It's it's not scanning it for the purposes of the book itself because the book itself is totally underwhelming, but uh, <laughs> you know with all the signatures and everything, you know, and it's got you know people like uh, Steve Gerber who's no longer with us, uh, Stanley, you know, a bunch of people signed off on it, which is pretty
0: cool.
4: That is pretty cool.
0: I don't think I have any signed books in my collection. Really, I, I've just never been a really. Big on signatures, like I don't even, like. I go to a lot of conventions, but I use them as buying trips. I don't really go and talk to the creators and stuff because I just don't. I don't know what to say. You know, I'm just like I don't want to. You know, I don't have anything to like have a big long, you know, half an hour conversation with them. i you know, if I if I do talk to them, it's like, hey, I like your work. See ya. <laughs> I'll
1: be honest but, with you, you know, I've gotten a lot of compliments on the convention stuff that I've done the last couple of megacons, but a lot of that with me going to the, the creators and talking to them and getting stuff signed and everything isn't so much that, I mean, I do get a thrill out of it and all that, but at the end of the day, a lot of it's because I'm too friggin' broke to do anything else. You know, it's like I can't afford to shop, so I might as well go <laughs> try to squeeze that free signature out of somebody and... You know, get a handshake from from a creator that I respect and everything, even if they turn out to be kind of a a dick or kind of like with uh, with uh, Claremont. He was a really nice guy, but what a bitter old f man! I mean, he was really bitter about shit. I was like, damn, and not that I could blame him, but it was still, it was not
2: fun, really. It's got to eat away at you when you see like movies coming out making millions of dollars and are you are you and you're thinking, me but that was my idea exactly <laughs> it's gotta kill you mm-hmm. but you know i mean most most of my conversations when they've had any length to them with uh, mm-hmm. creators starts off with hey i like your work and then usually it goes to some specific issue that i remember fondly and i mention oh this was one of my favorites and it's amazing how these guys you know for example rich buckler when i spoke to him i mean how many books did rich buckler work on over the years hundreds and Man, hundreds of yeah. books and and you mentioned one book to him and he's like oh yeah that was a good one that was fun because we did this we did that it's it's so cool to to have that conversation
0: mm-hmm.
2: and and it just kind of like builds its own legs you know exactly
0: Exactly. You can definitely tell there's a difference in generations because a lot of the creators, like the older ones, like they don't even remember doing the books. It was just a job for them. They're like, I don't remember that book. Those just are the, the... There's, there's been a couple that I talked to like that. So yeah, uh, but it's mainly the older generation, you know. Um, some of those guys aren't with us anymore, so.
1: Those are the ones I find really awkward, especially in print. You know, you'll get a, a great magazine like say uh back issue or something and they'll interview somebody that you're really interested in what they have to say and you're really hoping that they'll tell some story or whatever and then the whole interview amounts to well that was a long time ago i don't really remember let me tell you about this hippie trippy dippy bullshit that i'm into today and it's like really dude i don't care tell me about (laughs) you know when you worked on aquaman or whatever you know it's There was The the worst one yet that happened for me was there was an issue of uh, back issue I was really looking forward to because it was the big Jonah Hex and the Western comics and everything. And they touted this exclusive interview with Michael Fleischer, and I was really looking forward to it. And that entire article was nothing but, gee, it was a long time ago, I don't remember, and just it was so dull i was like really this is all this guy's got to say i mean if if i had been the interviewer i would have just been like well straight in the shit can cuz that was no good that's not usable nobody's going to want to read that and instead they made it like the cover feature article i was really surprised that was really so far knock on wood that was like the one issue a back issue i thought was just not good it just wasn't worth the you know the price or the hype for a normally you know, excellent magazine.
0: Hey, a mate. lot of those magazines it's like they're really like I can't justify paying seven ninety five or eight ninety five for like a two page article, which is all I care about in the whole mag, and right. the rest of it the rest of it's like, I don't really care about this.
2: <laughs> right. So I
0: usually find back
2: issue is a very dense magazine and it takes me a long time to read it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm getting my money's worth out of it, especially when I usually buy it. I usually end up buying a digital copy, which is half the money. Right. So, you know, which, which is the right way to do it. Make your digital copies
0: cheaper than your hard copies. No kidding. Yeah. It, I just it's wait, only I just and wait DC got around one. for a while. I What's that? Till, I said I wait till they're around for a while because you can get them so cheap if you just wait until after, you know, a year or two. And yeah, and those uh,
2: and those articles don't age, so you know they're, exactly. they're already talking about stuff from the seventies and eighties. So if you get it a year later, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, we are really digging your new show, dude, and we want you to tell us all about it. What was what was the story behind it? And what's the story going forward? What can we expect to hear on? Uh... Now it's Mike's amazing world of DC history. Is that right?
0: That's right. All right. So the 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 concept of the show really harkens back to my interest in comics to begin with. I'm a completist by nature, meaning like if I had one issue of something, I had to have every issue of something and very early on I got this idea that I really wanted to own every DC comic ever published and obviously things like Action Number One or Detective 27 that are now million dollar books, I'm probably never going to have the finances to own something like that but there's Other avenues of getting these books together and a couple months ago I finally put together at least in one form or another a copy of every DC story ever published so now I want to go and I want to read everything from the very beginning of the the pre-golden age starting with the beginning of DC comics in 1935 all the way up to the present now obviously there's 40,000 plus books there So it's going to take me a long time to read those, and many of them I've read before. But what I want to do is I am 40 years old. Okay. (laughs) uh, So I've already read thousands and thousands of the Golden Age books, but never in order. I've never been able to uh, follow things from the very beginning because I was always missing pieces. So I'd read them piecemeal, like one issue here, one issue there. And now I can actually follow it from the very beginning. And I know a lot of these early books are extremely rare, and most people don't have access to them. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have gotten in on the microfiche idea in the 90s, where they released a lot of the Golden Age books on microfiche. But some of the early ones weren't weren't released, like a lot of the early New Funds, which were was DC's very first title, were never released on microfiche. So I've been lucky enough to... Pick up digital scans here and there of the the missing ones. So now I finally have the ability to to read everything from the very beginning, and I wanted to to do something on my website for that. And I, I initially got the idea that I was going to put together a series of articles, essentially blog entries, um, you know, detailing the the early issues. But then I got the idea, uh, mainly from from listening to you guys doing podcasts. Hey, why don't I go out and do a podcast on this stuff? And so I, I, the concept of the show is I'm starting at the very beginning, DC's first comic, New Fun Number One, and I'm going to talk about the stories, the creators, the history of the DC, the company, as as much as I know. I don't know enough behind the scenes stuff to, to fill a book like some of the uh, uh, some of the books that are out there. There's some really good ones out there. Uh, but from a story perspective, I think uh, this is a good opportunity for for people to learn about characters they've never heard of before, but were really the pioneers in the field. Uh, long before uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman came along, uh, there were these characters that existed, characters like Sandra of the Secret Service, who was DC's first female character and actually was the headline feature in the first 34 issues DC published. Uh, characters that, like, Don Drake from Planet Sorrow, which was DC's first science fiction, uh, story. Uh, not a very good one, but <laughs> it was, uh, it was their first. So, these are the, the type of things I'll be covering. Um, I've done some research on the creators that put these things together, so I'll be, um, m- intermixing in the creator information as I go along. And, uh, hopefully I'll be able to share some individual, uh, you know, Personal stories uh, that uh, can can add some depth to uh, the history lesson that I'll be that I'll be giving people. So uh, I think it'll, it's a, it should be fun, um, and I want people to you know enjoy it. I'm I'm looking forward to, to emails. I've gotten a couple already uh, with the episodes that I've already put out. I've only, I've got the second episode out. Um, I'm probably not going to put one out this week and, uh, my goal is to put, uh, three episodes a month out. So won't be, it'll be a little bit more frequent than, than every other week. But for the most part, my goal is three, three episodes a month. And, um, it's really been fun so far. Uh, I really want to thank you guys for putting out your, get off your ass and make a goddamn podcast <laughs> because, uh, the, the tips you guys have given me have, uh, uh, been really useful, Uh, so episode two, uh, just to let you know, I had to re-record it twice because uh, some of the things you said uh, really made me think about what I was doing. (laughs) Uh, Although, I think uh, one of the things, I think Michael Bailey might have been the one that mentioned it. He was like, so if you're going to do one of these indexing ones, make sure it's something that's achievable. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Well, I'm
2: thinking you'll get this done by the yeah three
4: thousand. <laughs> well, we—I mean, basically everything we said there. We have another podcast on Two True Freaks that breaks one of those rules. Yep. Or in the case of Dinner for Geeks, mostly all of them. So. Sure. Yeah. And why? I, you, you, yeah. Why break from form?
0: I'm definitely not going to be devoting single episodes to you know one episode per issue. A lot of times, for example. Uh, the Adventures of Bob Hope ran 109 issues. If I do 109 podcasts on Bob Hope, I'm going to be poking my eyes out. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, there'll
4: be one Bob Hope. I don't know how many Bob Hope fans are still alive. Actually, this, yeah, there's
2: yeah. a lot of those series, too. There's, there was the Bob Hope series. There was the Jerry Lewis series. Papoon, there was the Jackie Gleason series. Dale Evans. Those were all DC. Was Papoon DC also?
0: I think so. Papoon with five issues of DC, yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a lot of that oddball stuff. Um, Will I be doing a Bob Hope episode? I'll probably be doing two. I'll probably be covering the early stuff. And then there's an era in the 60s where uh, there was a super hip character that actually uh, crossed over into Aquaman. So I'll probably be covering those. uh, But are you going to read them all? Oh, I'm going to read them.
4: Oh, dear God. (laughs) Wow. Well, he's going to read them so we don't have to. You know what you might want to do
1: at some point? You might want to get a hold of, and I wish I could remember the dude's name, but there was a dude that DC actually paid to read. Peter Sanderson. Who? Peter Sanderson. Sanderson, yeah. You need to get a hold of
4: that guy and have him on at some point. I think he's in a mental home somewhere,
1: to <laughs> and
0: drooling. Well, you, were, you read them all in the '80s when there was. It if, was in time I, for crisis. I have,
3: yeah,
0: yeah. I have a list of every DC ever published, and I have it broken down by era. Of, you know, here's how many were published in the '40s, the '50s. So the midpoint, like, if you take, if you look at what year had an equal amount of comics published before that year and an equal number of comics published after that year. It's something like 1994. is <laughs> the midpoint. So there, there's since 1994 they've published, you know, they've published as many issues as they did from 1935 all the way up to 1994. Jesus. So the old stuff, there's not quite as much of it, but the, there's a lot of it that's really obscure stuff that, you know, is is not going to really be appealing to a lot of of people, even me. <laughs> so I'll probably be doing summary episodes of of with those. Uh, type of titles um you know covering You never maybe-
1: know though man you never know because I I find that uh you know we were talking a little bit about um back issue magazine and as much as I love reading the you know the articles about oh you know John Byrne or or George Perez or Neil Adams or something like that or the characters I love like Aquaman or Superman or whatever Sometimes it's those those episodes or those genres that they cover that I don't give a rat's ass about that I end up enjoying the most because I don't know anything about them and so if you can find that that hook in there that that really I don't know that odd piece of trivia or the the story that really surprises you or you know, the, the creator that worked on this that you never realized worked on it or that sort of thing, and and it, you can find an interest in it yourself, something to latch on to and bring into the show, then, you know, that might be your angle, too, because I know what you mean about, you know, eras or, or genres that may not seem on the surface to interest, but you know, for any book that, that had any sort of length of a run or something, there had to be something in there that interested people and sort of be just a matter of trying to discover what was that hook. You know, what were the kids in the 50s that read, you know, 90-some issues of Dale Evans or whatever? What the hell were they into? What What was it about that title that kept kids I coming I think they back? were into
4: sniffing
2: Airplane Glue. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that was it. That might help you too, Mike. But I, I think well, that like you know you said there's 109 episodes of Bob Hope. I can honestly say I would not listen to 109 podcasts going over them one by one. But if you were to summarize the series and point exactly, out yeah, the high points that. of it and 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 you know where there's stories of particular note and as you were reading through it this one really stood out for whatever reason, I think that would be fascinating to listen to. I, yeah. I would definitely be on board for that.
0: Yeah, that's definitely my plan for
2: those type of titles.
1: If all else fails, just rip the shit out of it, man. That That's always good for a lot. <laughs> you know?
2: Well, I guess that's always a risk, too. You know, this I read this series, and it had no redeeming values.
0: Exactly. I <laughs> spent a month and a half reading every issue of this title, and oh, it's awful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've been in but podcasting five years and made a career out of just that very thing. So there you go. <laughs> Finding that angle that you can just, you know, tear it to bits. I'm never going to bitch about having to do,
4: read six issues or something for get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic again.
1: Well, the next one we're doing is 109 issues of Bob Hope, dude. So you better start (laughs) reading
4: I guess Bob Hope counts as a superhero, right?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Super hip. (laughs) To be honest, I don't know what the history of Bob Hope is. I know <laughs> you're going to find out, dude. <laughs> i don't going to find out everything I ever wanted to know. Right? But fortunately, his title didn't start until the 50s, so I've got a little while to, to <laughs> through some, some better. You think there's
2: an origin issue in there somewhere?
0: Well, I don't know. I get I get a whole 104 episodes of uh, J- Johnny Thunder and his Magic Thunderbolt before I get to Bob Hope.
3: Mm.
1: Oh man. <laughs>
2: I guess it'll be quite a while before we get to uh, Don Rickles in uh, in Jimmy Olsen.
0: Oh, I, that's that's clear into the seventies, but yeah, that's uh, the Kirby stuff had Don Rickles as a guest star. I don't know what the heck was up with that man. But when, you, yeah, when you're in the middle, I kind of of like that- Don Rickles.
4: <laughs>
1: When you're in the middle of that uh Johnny Thunder stuff, man, if you start to have uh depression or suicidal thoughts or anything, please give us a call first, all right? Let us let us talk you off the ledge, all right? I make fun of
0: Johnny Thunder, but to be honest, I actually have read about half of his half of his adventures from Flash Comics, and compared to other Golden Age titles, the artwork sucks, but the stories are actually real relatively decent compared to a lot of other Golden Age titles, so um, I'm the stories from the first two dozen issues were fine. Once they introduced his niece Peachy Pet, oh, uh, <laughs> they go, go downhill really fast. <laughs> <laughs> what a shock! <laughs> Everybody's got to have the the kid sidekick.
1: Man,
2: you are really taking a bullet for the team, dude. I mean, the same, the same way, the same way you have to read Silver Age books with kind of a. An eye towards the era that it was produced in. I think the Golden Age books even demand a higher level of that. uh, Because sometimes Golden Age books are are difficult to sit down and read. And and they actually, you know, considering they really were focused towards young kids back then and they didn't really expect to have an older audience, it's amazing how, you know, how much time it could take you to get through one of them sometimes.
0: Sure. My favorite is actually Wonder Woman. The Wonder Woman of the 1940s was. Is the best gold mage material in my opinion out there and considering I can, can't stand anything from about 1948 all the way up to George Perez's version of Wonder Woman. Everything after that was pure crap, but the early Wonder Woman stuff is actually some of the best gold mage material out there, at least in my you, opinion.
2: You didn't like the, uh, the jumpsuit wearing Wonder Woman stuff?
0: Uh, the Emma Peel Avengers, <laughs> yeah. Wonder yes. Woman uh, from the 70s? No, no, I did not like that. Um, the concept was okay, the execution just didn't do it for me. So,
2: I, I get a kick out of those just because they're so—they are so firmly entrenched in their time. You know, kind of that—you uh, know—I understand that women's live is out there, and I'm going to put out this book to kind of pay homage to it, but not really understand anything about it, kind of thing.
0: Well, that's the way, way, you know, most comic creators were back then. It's like, let's put out a book about this stuff that we know nothing about. You know, know, how many of the early, like, for example, African-American superheroes were written by white guys? Sweet Christmas! It's Luke Cage! (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's have him wear a tiara. (laughs) Because that's that's what I see in Hall of All the Time. That's what black guys were into in those days, yeah. I was trying so, to
1: think I, of a of decent Wonder Woman stuff before uh, Paris, and the only thing I can think of is, I can't remember who the writer was, but when Gene Cullen worked on Wonder Woman there for a little bit, they had the new look Wonder Woman.
0: I think Gary Conway was writing a lot of that, if I remember right.
1: I don't remember so, the stories uh, being exceptionally fantastic, but I thought the art was really good, but
0: yeah. There was a couple issues that, like, I remember I bought the the Teen Titans crossover, because there was a, a crossover with that, and that was really, when I was a kid, that was my early exposure to the character, and it just wasn't something I cared for. But when, when Perez took over, total 180, I mean, that character was great under Perez, and each creative team that kind of followed just kind of dropped the ball a little bit more. And as much as I like John Byrne, he just totally screwed up the game. everything that Perez built uh, when he took over that the post-crisis title. So. Well, Byrne Byrne
2: was big on throwing out what everybody before him wrote.
1: <laughs> yeah, when that's, Paris was on that, that
2: book, though, it was a, I think
1: it was a must-read. I really enjoyed that when he was on it. Yeah. and
0: I gotta say, I mean his. He really surprised me as a writer, even the stuff that when he uh, was just writing it and let other artists, you know, take care of the art. Um, he was he was a really good writer on it too, which uh, I know he was co plotting Titans with Marv Wolfman, but he this this was uh, you know, a really good scripting job by him as well. So uh, was really impressed with that.
1: Who was that woman that, that took over as artist while, while Perez was just writing the book? Because she seemed like an up-and-comer, but I think she just kind of disappeared after a while. But I can't remember what her name was. Was the Cynthia
0: Martin. Yeah. I, yeah I was, Cynthia Martin was the name that came to my mind as well. I know Chris Marinin was was a guy that drew a bunch of issues uh, that Perez wrote. I can't remember what her name no, no, was no, now. I no, don't have the list in front of me. I'm really, I, having done my website and, um because I've gone through and gone through pretty much all the books I have and, and gone through and made creator lists of, uh, who worked on this story, who worked on that story, and, and I've gotten to know like a lot of, you know, who these guys were and, and you know, who worked on this title when, uh, really well, but I can't think of, uh, other than Cynthia Martin she's the only one that comes to my mind
1: well you know I love your website dude we plug it all the time and I'm serious I don't think there's been a day gone by since I've discovered the site that I don't end up using it for, for one reason or another a lot of times looking up creators to be honest just to,
4: to... oh man if you got a penny every time some, some nerd said Mike's Amazing World uttered the words Mike's Amazing World you'd be in Aruba right now
0: <laughs> penny. I, I got to tell you, even even if no one came to the website, I'd still be doing it. I mean, I've made lists since I was like eight years old. I had three-by-five cards with every comic I owned when I was a little kid and wrote, oh, this character was in this, and I indexed everything from who wrote a letter to the letters page in the back of the comic, wow. and I, I wrote that on a little three-by-five card and kept track of these things, so... I'm a notorious list maker, so the website. I well, of that. <laughs> that site is so
2: useful when we're getting, you know, looking up a book and trying to figure out who did what. A lot of times, the cover artist isn't credited, and the website tells us a lot of, a lot of stuff. Like I think that. that's
4: the number handy. one. That's our number one use of Mike's Amazing World on Two True Freaks, at least for me. And like Star Trek and Star Wars, and this one is like looking up cover artists and. So we can list them at the beginning of our synopsis. But speaking of websites, it, it, I know we've brought this up many times on the show, but this is the first time that we've actually had you here to actually pucker up and kiss your ass. But the <laughs> 2 com website is is the handiwork of this gentleman. And... The last few months, uh, I, we're on like the, our third month, isn't it? Somewhere around there, third or fourth month of.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it went. I think it went live in like first of May or something like that.
4: Yeah, I, I just couldn't be happier. I I love how it I love how it looks. I love how it makes all of our podcasts so much more accessible to everybody. Um, I I, I know that it's made it a lot easier for. Most people, <laughs> with a couple notable exceptions, to find whatever they need, you know, on our on our uh, on our website at, at the drop of a hat. Where on Libsyn it was just a morass of you know different you know sections and pull down menus, and it was just a big pain. So I'm I'm loving it.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear it's working for you. So you know, I was you know I threw my hat in the ring to volunteer for for the The job, and you guys said, "Hey, yeah, go ahead and do what you want." And I tried to make it look, you know, pretty much like your old site did, but you know, just with a little better, uh, so so much
2: more user friendly.
4: I like it because on Libsyn, all that all that slaving over a hot Photoshop, I would put up, you know, the picture on Libsyn, and then and you know, people would see it. For a week and then it was gone. And now they're, they're all laid out for all the time. You know, all, all the shows are right there with their cover art and everything, and they're just easy to listen to. I
0: love it. I absolutely love it. With, with all the shows you guys have put out and and expanded in the last year or two, it's uh, you guys need something bigger to, to handle all that. So I know you guys have, what, like 15 shows or something like that now? I don't know. Don't
4: Practical know what last count it was, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost every day, something seems to be. We got something coming up on the feed, and there's there's more to be added. There's at least one more coming down the pike. Yep, um, it's gonna be an interview show, shrouded in mystery. And we got a couple shows on the burner, actually, and it'll have some nerd celebrity value to it.
0: Well, I know what's on my wish list for shows. What's that? The uh, return of a, of a long awaited show. Scott knows what I'm talking about. Oh, no, it. not again. Okay. <laughs> 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 We're
2: talking Justice
1: Society here? I just, I need oh, a. I need a clone <laughs> at this point. That's, that's really the problem. <laughs> I just need a freaking clone that I can just send to work every day while I sit back and podcast that, that, well, that would, that
4: would work. You saw how that works out simplicity.
1: <laughs> Well, Mike, we were really glad to have you on the show and I'm really happy for your new show and everything. I'm really enjoying it very much. And I look forward to uh, listening in the future.
2: It's, it, it, I really am enjoying the show also. And, uh, thanks for putting it out
0: oh, you're welcome and uh, you know hope to hear some uh, good feedback uh, good or bad it's fine uh, everything's helpful as long as it's uh at least somewhat constructive <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: Folks, how are ya? Maury Clawhammer here. You ever go to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at DCIndex.com? Of course you do! You're a nerd! And now the brains behind that website, Mike, who's indexed every single goddamn DC comic in the goddamn universe, is making a podcast. And it's right here on Tutu Freaks. He's gonna read every single DC comic, every single one and he's going to tell you about it. Do you understand what that means? Just wrap your mind around this. There's 109 goddamn Bob Hope comics, and he's going to read every single one of them. So march yourself over to 2TrueFreaks.com and check out his podcast. It's called Mike's Amazing World of DC History, and it's right here on 2 True Freaks.
1: Trentis Magnus
0: punches reality. Punch. Movies, oh, comics, and TV
2: shows. Listen, listen. listen as Trentus Magnus punches reality.
1: Magnus.Libson.com
4: the news. it's
2: headset. It's, a headset it's a headset i want yeah, to you know bit- what the, the ceiling fan is on it just no
4: it's it's,
1: it's
2: it's that it's headset noise it's well i
1: mean noise. i don't it's want you, you to sit there. Sit there. yeah i don't want you to sit there and swelter i'm just i'm just aware of it that's all yeah you want me to swelter you know, no know. I, don't,
4: I don't think it's the fan that's doing it it's just what it's like your old headset scott it's yeah, the yeah, I'm slightest, supposed get,
2: I'm supposed bit. to get a new uh, DeManzo mic one day. Yeah, that's, I, I,
4: that's what I'm saying you're the first uh, that's first it. candidate now, for everybody
1: on the show from now on. It's going to be a sweltering paraplegic.
4: I'm tired of this. Shit. <laughs> well, you remember how you had to operate when you had that old headset, you couldn't. Move I had the clunk,
1: man. I had the f-ing clunky heads. I used to hate that. shit. I'd listen back to an episode, and it was like every other syllable. Clunk, 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 clunk. I used to hate that shit. That's one of the reasons I can't listen to our oldest episodes. I listen to them, and I just I just want to do the George Lucas. Well, that, yeah, that thing was
4: like someone had like a wooden block inside yeah. of a can-, can.
1: It was. It was like somebody was in the background going, more cowbell, except it was mm-hmm. a friggin' <laughs> clunk on the block of wood. More clunk. <laughs> Two true freaks, now with more clunk.
4: With 57% more clunk. I don't know if it's possible to have more clunk. <laughs> Dick. We've come up with new <laughs> clunk technology.
2: <laughs> <laughs> gonna get some some CGC. That's it. You got a new nickname.
1: You're gonna be Clunk Spataro from now on. Uh, that's not the worst.
2: Oh, uh, At
4: least it doesn't
1: <laughs> clunk, yeah. All right. Are we bringing this shit back or what? I think Paul needs to bring it back because this was his idea, and I like this one. So I think he needs to to introduce this segment.
2: All right. So I'm bringing us back and doing it, or I'm just introducing the segment.
1: Bring bring us back
2: to to the Freaky Five. You can go ahead and go first if you want to. Uh, Well, you know what? I I actually made a list. uh, I couldn't narrow it down. So I actually have a list of ten on my Freaky Five. Jesus Christ. So I figured if if, if you guys go first, maybe I'll be crossing some stuff over. Alright, my... that works. We'll see a polite host brings it in and hands it off to somebody else anyway, so. Yeah, well that's that's why I only do mine first. <laughs> Alright. This month for our Freaky Five. What's all the hub? Top five miscast actors and actresses in superhero movies. And who wants to go first? I do. I do. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, the young fella in the front row.
4: <clears throat> this was kind of tough. Really? I had, to, I had to really think about. Well, there were, you know, I I wanted to, you know, I mean, I could have gone and like definitely like started looking at some YouTube clips of some stuff that I knew was kind of clunky, but I wanted to. Uh, do stuff that was something I'd seen, you know, was more familiar okay, with. That. Yeah, but so.
1: still, still, dude. I mean, you even—it's really relatively recently that superhero movies have gotten really good. So, I mean, there's a there's an abundance of shit out there in the superhero movie genre, and a lot of them are shit because of the casting. So I didn't have a whole lot of trouble with this.
4: Yeah, I wanted to think of especially egregious (laughs) stuff that that I'd seen, you know, that I sat through and went, oh, Jesus. (laughs) You know, not this, not this guy. No! Okay. So these are in no particular order um, of worse to worse. Um, So number five, we got uh, Ben Affleck. As uh, Daredevil, just did not work for me. Was not Matt Murdock for me at all.
2: You need someone with that one. What's that? I immediately thought we would have been better off with uh, with with uh, his buddy Matt Damon. Would have been much more, uh, you know, fitting in the role.
4: I agree, but I would've got... If I was doing it, I would've gotten somebody with no celebrity baggage at all, with no... Or with less facial recognition, you know? But, he, yeah, he's... And Ben Affleck can sometimes be a good actor, but he can sometimes be a a block of wood. Speaking of blocks of wood, number four, we've got Stallone as Judge Dredd, which... Seemed like a natural. That seemed like that would be the perfect, you know, sort of when Schwarzenegger played the Terminator, and they're like, "Yes, finally a role perfect for Schwarzenegger." Um, but it didn't. He was too dumb. Dread is not dumb. He's stoic and and almost military. And I
2: am the law.
4: Yeah, yeah, and Stallone's got too much of that, that that um, you know, boxing brain damage talk to him, that slur, and it just, it, it I picture Judge Dredd as speaking crisply, clearly, and, you know, like a cop, you know, with cop inflection, and, you know, not... Not that that wasn't the only misguided thing that went wrong with that movie, but, yeah, that, I thought that was one that uh, stood out really bad. Um, Take him to Mega City 1, Rock. Retards like Mega City <laughs> um, Number three, we got Keanu Reeves as Constantine. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. one. Oh, Jesus, a... I
1: forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. um... Terrible
4: casting. Con- I mean, A... Constantine was made to be played by sting right you know he was he was when when he first showed i mean that was when he first showed up right it was in swamp things alan moore's swamp things and i mean he was drawn to look just like sting it was just obvious so even though sting would have been too old oh well slap some makeup on him but keanu reeves isn't he kind of the opposite of Sting? You know, Sting's like the Renaissance man, and and that's what Constantine was. He was a very depressed, bitter, cynical, super smart guy. Right. And that's just not Keanu Reeves. <laughs> He's just not, not set up for an intellectual role. Not that that movie was intellectual, either. But we're just talking about the actors. Um the entire cast of The Spirit by uh, Frank Miller
1: Crazy. it's funny you say that because I have one on my list that's the entire cast too
4: (laughs) Um, and number one which you know it's just another one of them don't get excited Uh, Seth Rogen is the Green Hornet
2: really? that's a good one I didn't think of
4: yeah I didn't like that movie that much at all I haven't
1: seen it, so I, I'm just I, I'm just kinda surprised in a in a like uninformed way but he's
4: an appealing actor. He's a funny he's a he's a funny actor and he can actually he's one of those comedian actors who's you know, he's got that sort of persona of the fat slobby stoner guy. But he can act too, if if it's if need be. If you need to put him in a dramatic role. He could be so and he lost weight to be the Green Hornet and stuff, but it just turned out to be, you know, that sort of meta type of thing, you know, where it was a little self-aware and and it just didn't feel right, you know? It just didn't... It's another thing where I would have picked somebody who um, didn't have that Baggage of, you know, you recognize their face, you recognize them from other movies, you think of them as being a funny man type thing. Although he was playing it, the movie was playing it for humor too, so, or, you know, or lightheartedness. But, I mean, obviously now, although if if the Lone Ranger had been a hit, it would have been a shoe in to, to put what is, what is his name, Army Hammer? Which, what were his parents thinking when they named him Army? His last thing was hammer.
1: I think his dad had just been in the freezer after something. Exactly, and he saw the, just he saw like, that box in there, you know, the deodorizing like, stuff, and was like, "All oh, right, yeah, that works, I guess."
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that would have been that would have been the shoe in for for Green Lantern because aren't they aren't the Green Lantern or Green Lantern Green, uh, green Arrow, the Lone Green Hornet, lantern? the Green Hornet, the Lone <laughs> Hornet. <laughs> The Green Ranger oh wait that's that's the that's Lord of the Rings um but aren't the Green Hornet and the Lone Ranger related Yes, distantly related or something yes. that's the story yeah, so that would have been that would have been more appropriate if they would have been thinking about the the whole timeline and if it wasn't two completely different movie <laughs> companies doing it, but that's my top five. I could have definitely gone more egregious and and been like heavy metal Thor, you know, from the,
3: <laughs>
4: the, the TV shows. But I didn't, re- you know, I never have been able to really get through any of those beyond like little clips on YouTube. So right, I I, I wanted it to be more intimate. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to make sure I was hating something I was familiar with. How
2: sensitive? Yeah, and I. Aren't, aren't I a great guy? I had That's mo- what we were just saying. Well, no. Well, we'll
1: <laughs> I mean, I had more trouble with this, too, than I thought I would. But mine was more of the of the angle of trying to narrow it down to just five. Because let's right. face it. I mean, up until very, very recently, superhero movies just have not had a good track record. And I just think that there are so many just horrible casting choices over the years. But I really tried to narrow my, my list down from the ones that just make me look at them and go, what, you know, like, like Russell Crowe as George, what? And then you got the ones that that are just confusing in that aspect of like, what, that you just couldn't find a white guy. You know, you got Lawrence Fishburne, as perry white or michael clark duncan as the kingpin and i just look at those and go what you know that that whole having to racially balance your cast i hate that shit it just really irritates me i
4: i i thought that way about the kingpin too but he actually worked as an actor he felt like the kingpin but he did not that my problem with him was they didn't like i wish they would have just done a lord of the rings on his ass and forced perspective him so he was eight feet tall. Right. You know. Yeah. And um, humongous you know, and and I mean Perry White, I mean that was one of the that was one of the things that almost worked about that movie, almost. I mean he was just a wasted character. He was just a throwaway character, so it was mm-hmm. no different than seeing him that guy and you know, CG C S I or whatever. Right. But eh But ultimately, I decided
1: to go with the ones that most irritated me. The ones that I most looked at and said, Did did you ever even read this goddamn comic? Do you even know the part that you're casting for? Because it's pretty obvious, looking at who you chose for this, that you really didn't. So, number five, Eric Bana as Bruce Banner. Mm. I mean, did he get the job just because his name's really close? Because he sucked in that movie. Now I think And I think it
2: stands out even more when you see the other people who played Bruce Banner after him.
1: Yes, yes, most definitely. Although I thought Sam Elliott as Thunderbolt Ross was, was rather inspired in that movie, he just, I mean, he was the star. He's Bruce Banner. I mean, granted, you're going to see the Hulk, but still, the Hulk in that was based off of him. It's kind of created that whole thing that they did uh, later with the Avengers of using the Banner actor uh, in the Hulk uh, part as well. And he just he just didn't work for me. I think he's a shit actor to begin with. But he wasn't playing Bruce Banner the way I think of Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner is... You know, he's he's really scrawny, he's wimpy, nerdy, you know, science geek guy. Now, in fairness, and I know this probably won't be a very popular opinion, I don't think Mark Ruffalo played that character either. That said, I really liked him as banner and the hulk in the avengers he really worked in that movie but in parents, uh, yeah i thought it was great i don't think he was playing the traditional uh banner either i think he was playing more of a of a cross kind of between edward norton and bill bixby bill mm-hmm. bixby when you're perfectly honest about it bill bixby wasn't really playing the classic banner either of course they changed it up and, you know, he was David Banner and it was a whole different kind of character. So he really was not playing, literally was not playing Bruce Banner either. But, yeah, that Eric Banner one just always irritated me because I think that movie had a lot of potential and he just really ruined it for me. Um, I, I Ultimately, though, I, I wish uh, Norton had come back to to play the Hulk again, especially in The Avengers, because I thought his portrayal nailed the the true character you know the comic book version of that character the closest but anyway number five uh, Eric Bana but you know I, I found the rest of the cast of of the Avengers lead up movies you know to be fairly beyond reproach except for one other really notable exception my number four Terrence Howard as Rhodey again it's like what what were you thinking his voice irritates the hell out of me. He he just has such a wussy, you know, girly
4: voice. It's a, soft, it's a soft-spoken, effeminate voice. Effeminate. He's very,
1: very effeminate, and it just bugged me. I don't think a whole hell of a lot of Don Cheadle either, to be honest with you, but he is a, a vast improvement over Terrence Howard, that's for sure. But uh, Don
4: Cheadle also just physically... Seems to have more of a sense of physical action.
1: That's true. Yeah. That's so,
4: true. I, I yeah.
1: I still though I, I wish that they'd gotten somebody that would be a little bit closer to say like Billy D. Williams in Nighthawks or something. That that's more of how I see Roadie. Billy D. Williams? <laughs> but uh Yeah, you know, but in fairness I wasn't all you know, I wasn't originally thrilled with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark and now none of us can really imagine anybody else in that role. So, I mean, the rest of the cast of the the three Iron Man films, I thought they did pretty darn good. Um, Number three, this one's a little bit of an obscure one, but it took me right out of this movie. John Malkovich, who I can't stand anyway, I'll be honest with you, but John Malkovich as Quentin Turnbull in Jonah Hex. He sucked in that movie, And completely destroyed that character. The perfect, the absolute perfect casting for that role would have been Fred Thompson. And I don't know if you guys know who that is. He's been in a lot of movies. Probably the the thing I always remember him best for was he was um, one of the captains in um, The Hunt for Red October. I'm trying to think of what else he's been in besides, but he's been in a lot of different movies. But if you, if you Google Fred Thompson, you'll instantly know who I'm talking about. That guy would have been perfect as Quentin Turnbull. But uh, John Malkovich? Ugh. <laughs> All right, so number two, here's my entire cast one. Nearly, with one notable exception, nearly the entire cast... Of Batman Begins You suck I can't stand the casting tra- the, the only one that, that I'll accept In that one Is Gary Oldman as, as yes. James Gordon Was inspired casting Because he looks like him He acts like him He's a great uh,
4: James Gordon He's the best thing about all three of those movies yep.
1: But Michael Kane Michael friggin Kane As Alfred Really after Michael Gow, you're gonna cast Michael Kane. It's just laughable to me. Liam Neeson. I Well we know how you oh, feel about him. Jesus. As Rasa Ghoul. What was David Warner too busy? And then you got Christian Bale. As bat no, alright. Granted. He kind of looks like comic book version of Bruce Wayne. I'll give you that.
3: You suck
1: but can we all just finally be honest about how how ridiculous he is as Batman? He looks ridiculous. He acts ridiculous. And every time I hear him talk as Batman in those movies, I'm thinking that he's confused and think that, thinks that this movie is actually supposed to be Hamburglar Begins.
4: Well, Is he does shit talks? like, <laughs> <laughs> he talks in his Batman voice when he's the only one there sometimes. And it's just like, no, dude, you don't have to f- do that. You know? Or or when he's talking to somebody that knows he's Bruce Wayne, he'll still be like, and it's like, no,
2: you know, yeah, give it a rest. You ever, you ever watch uh, on uh, the clips they do on how it should have ended?
1: Mm, I've and? seen some. I don't know if I've seen the
2: one for Batman Begins. Well. Not, not for Batman Begins, but virtually every one of them ends in, like, a cafe with Superman and Batman sitting right. in the booth talking. Yeah. And, and he's always throwing in, because I'm Batman, everything. <laughs> right. it's, it's just really funny. The, the most recent one was them talking about uh, the new Batman and Superman movie, and they're each talking about how they're going to kick the other one's ass in the movie, which is just Oh, funny I stuff. haven't
1: seen that yet. I got, I'll, I'll have to see that one. The last one I saw was where... Uh... Superman peeled off his his uh his trunks and goes reboot yes, and flies yes. through the ceiling. And as much as I hate Man of Steel, I actually had me laughing. That was actually pretty funny.
2: Yeah, they just did one for Man of Steel, and then they followed that up with the uh you know, the, the Superman Batman movie.
1: I'm gonna have to seek those out then because that sounds funny. I do like those. They're very well written. And my number one Alto Cumulus Lenticularis Duplicatus as Galactus, Devourer of Worlds in Fantastic Four Return of the Silver Surfer.
4: Is that the name of the computer that that generated him?
1: No, that's the name of the cloud that played him.
4: Oh, Jesus.
1: I mean, really, a cloud as Galactus. Really? I mean, granted, I don't think that that's a great movie. But I think that that movie would stand much taller in the, in the annals so of comic movie. Yeah. So to speak comic geekdom and comic movie than it does that as I think it deserves to, for opening up kind of the cosmic aspect of Marvel. If they had just pulled the damn trigger and given us Galactus in that movie, I think that would have vastly improved and already you know, mostly okay flick. I, I, you know, like I say, it's not a great one. It has its problems, but it was a hell of a lot better than the first FF movie. The Silver Surfer was pretty good in it. The music's great. You know, the action and the special effects are pretty good. But what we all went to see, you know, along with the Silver Surfer, of course, was Galactus, and you don't ever see him. It's just a big friggin' cloud, and
2: and it just ugh.
1: Yeah, the closest
2: you come is you could see like the shadow of kind of the helmet in the cloud at one point. Yeah, but you never see it. And I always thought they could have gotten away with doing it similar to the way they did the big bad at the end of Star Trek V, where he was kind of disembodied, but you could see the face, and mm. you know he had that that godlike voice kind of thing going. Right. I thought I thought you could have done that and given it the Galactus look, but not made it so. You know, defined that it was easy to you know to look at it and think, "Oh, that looks silly," uh, but but still have him have the Galactus look to it. So this way, you kind of make everybody happy. But no, they they went for the cloud.
1: Man, I you know I don't know if the actor, the voice actor that played God in Star Trek Five, is still alive. But if he had been, he would he's got the a, a great
2: voice for Galactus. That would have been awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. That's exactly the voice that I'd be looking for. And then, like I said, you could have just gone with the same kind of effect. Yeah. Which I'm sure was not an expensive effect to put together.
1: Yeah. It's just a damn shame because every time I watch that movie, I'm really kind of into it. And then it gets to the end. So
4: technically, Galactus was in the cloud.
2: I don't but know if he was in the cloud or if he was the cloud. He was the just cloud, kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think he was in the cloud. I, I, think I was starting was right. to get a little hope that he was just hiding in the cloud
4: or Have something. Have you not seen it? it? Hide. No, I haven't seen either of the Fantastic Four movies. Basically, because when I heard that Galactus was going to be a cloud, then I was just like, uh-uh. I'd I, I pulled a Man of Steel with it where I was like, I'm not going to contribute to, to this. I would, Did they tell
2: you that the Silver Surfer was a Teletubby also? <laughs> and that he was got yeah. a little TV set in his belly button? <laughs> Cuz that was really stupid.
4: <laughs> I would Whatever, uh, man. Everything can't be exactly like the comic, but
1: I want No, no, I, 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 don't I no, no. yes it can. Exactly
2: like comics, but I don't need for it to be stupid either. Right. And that was stupid. Now, I would just <laughs> encourage you to
1: just watch those because they're not perfect. They have their flaws. They do have Galactus as a friggin' cloud. Uh. But they have their moments. They're, they're, there is actually a lot to like in both of those movies, I think, because Johnny's full-on, flame-on, flying for the first time is pretty friggin' cool. And a lot of the moments in the second... I mean, much of the second movie, I think, is really, really good. It's until you get to the stupid climax... That's where it, it it does. It suffers from, you know, Paul said it best, it suffers from Star Trek V syndrome, you know? You get to the end of that movie, and because they didn't pull the trigger on Galactus, the movie just kind of falls, because it's got a piss-poor ending to it. But the rest of it, eh, it's it's firing pretty well. It could have been a little bit bigger, but, uh, I mean, again, it, it opened up the cosmic idea. And it's funny, because the mm-hmm. first time I saw the Avengers in the theater... And you get that great tag scene at the end with Thanos. I was instantly taken right back to Rise of the Silver Surfer because it was that movie that really kind of paved the way for that to happen. It it, it made it a you know a, a viable concept for the the Marvel movie going audience. I think that you could embrace a, a cosmic. Uh, part of Marvel Comics on the big screen and pull it off, or at least sort of. I mean, the Silver Surfer in that movie, for the most part, really works well. It's just
2: that yeah, they except for the Teletubby scene. I I had was, forgotten entirely, entirely about that. You're right. Yeah, that is really what's, stupid. And and in, and they had. I think Lawrence Fishburne. Wait, 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 name, wait, wait,
4: wait, 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 wait. Before you guys go on, that wasn't some sort of joke. The Teletubby thing. What's, no, there's a
2: scene where he's with. Sue Storm, I believe. Right. And he's trying to explain to her, you know, his history or who Galactus is or something to that effect. And it actually, like, plays out that you can see it happening as if his belly was a TV set. It's oh, really, no. really bad. But, but otherwise, the character of the Silver Surfer was really, really well done. I yeah, thought. he and was. And I thought yeah. the Lawrence Fishburne voice for it was perfect. That's right. It was him, wasn't it? I forgot about that. Yeah. So he can be cast in a role that you'd like.
1: Well, I don't have a problem with the actor. It's just it, it really annoys me when they take somebody that that is classically, you know, one way, and then they dress. I mean, I'm not talking like you take somebody who's a blonde and cast them as a brunette. I'm talking where, you know, you take somebody that just doesn't physically resemble that other character in any way, shape, or form. And they cast that person in that role for no other reason that it's not because they're going, well, this is a great actor that can perform any role. No, you're doing that bullshit for politically correct reasons. And, and then they're not even honest about it. It just irritates the shit out of me. I hate when they do that. What about Nick Fury? Well, see, that's based on something, though. That was based Oh, it on, is. Yes. Oh, that's right, it and is. The, the Ultimates, you know, they, they had given that homage with it being... Um Samuel L. Jackson, now you could argue that the ultimates did that for the exact same reason, the reason for you know the racial balancing thing, but by that point, you know, eh, it's been done, so now they go forward and they actually get the real Sam Jackson to play you know this gag that they had set up in the ultimates of Black Nick Fury. Looking like Samuel L. J. I think that's actually cool. I, I was perfectly fine with that. And again, it's, you know, it's Nick Fury. Who cares? I and, know uh, and all the legion of Nick Fury fans are going to write in incense, but, you know, Nick Fury to me was no sacred cow. Not that Perry White really is either, but it's the principle of the fing thing. The guy's been around in comics for 75 years. His name's White, for Christ's sake. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Andy Andy did that on Hey Kids Comics. He said, oh, should, man. They call, should they call him Perry Black now?
3: Perry Black. I don't But know. uh I, I
2: I didn't mind Samuel Jackson playing Nick Fury in the movie. I didn't mind them doing Samuel Jackson in the ultimates. I didn't like when they had to adopt that into the mainstream Marvel universe yeah, yeah, that, just because they're doing it in the movie.
1: Yeah. That's irritating because now I wonder, you know, does that mean the end of classic Nick Fury? Because I don't know if you guys read uh, the latest Fury Max, that thirteen issue series, but oh my god, was that good? It's really, really good.
2: I mean, if you want to read, yeah, you, you hey, said that was really good, and I wanted, I want to read that. I just haven't gotten to it yet. I mean, it's fantastic. It's it's completely
1: real world. Doesn't pull any punches. Totally adult. I mean, it's it's definitely not written for children. A lot of political subtext. I mean, it's just it's. Fantastic comics is all it comes down to. But I hope it's not the, the last hurrah of classic Nick Fury because I want to see more of this guy. That was a, It was a really, really good series. But I don't know. Yeah, I heard that they had uh, they'd recently basically, I don't know how they, was it a retcon or
2: whatever they did, but they brought in...
1: Well, the basically, semi- he's, he's Nick
2: Fury's illegitimate son. <laughs> and he he's military trained. And then he, I don't recall exactly what the circumstances are, but he ends up on a mission with his best friend who, you know, in the, you don't find out till the end, but it turns out to be Phil Coulson. Uh, and at one point he's captured by the big bad in the, in the uh, story. And the guy says, oh, I don't see the resemblance. And then he plucks out his eye and says, oh, now I see it. So kind of a nasty scene. But you know, overall, I, I just I just didn't see the need for it. It seemed no. a little forced. No. Yeah, I don't.
1: I don't know why they feel the need to do that kind of stuff either. Because you know, the the continuity of the movies has what? When did Iron Man come out? Two thousand eight, two thousand nine, something like that. An you event, something I think like Two thousand eight, yeah. So I mean, the the entire universe of that has been around for five years, as opposed to the Marvel Universe proper has been around for fifty years. So, what so, happens I don't to all that
2: Max business stuff? decision? Because I think from a business point of view, it makes sense. From a creative point of view, I I don't like it. I feel like it's forcing the issue. From a business point of view, if you think about it, a good selling comic now sells a hundred thousand. Right meanwhile you know a, a big movie you know has millions and millions of people who go to see it right. so now they're trying to do something in the comic that maybe there'll be a spillover from some of those movie going people that they'll start buying it so i do understand the business decision but from a creative point of view i think it just kind of sucks because it's kind of like forcing it up on the creative end of it
1: i was listening to something the other day that was talking about comic sales figures and just made me want to start. Yeah, it just made me want to cry. I'm like, wow, really? Because that was cancellation figures when I was a kid. You know, if a book did back then what some of the top tier books are selling today, <laughs> they got canceled. Now that's top tier. So it makes me wonder: these books that linger on and linger on, what are they doing? What numbers are they hitting? So it's yeah, yeah man. I mean, I, I don't, I don't fault them either for trying to do something to pull in new people and and reinvigorate the market. But unfortunately, what they're doing in those attempts, a lot of times, I just, I don't see it. I don't think that they got a good decision. You know,
4: I had this idea just now of what they could do: make quality product.
1: Yeah, no kidding. That's a unique idea. That yeah, no I just, see That just like flashed industry.
4: into my head just now. Make a quality, you, you quality know make get, it where,
1: get it out there where people can find it it's the other one make a quality product, Oh yeah, which, where people yeah. can
4: buy it, make a good product, yeah. and put it where places where people can
2: buy it, yeah. oh man, because that's how the solution is that if if we the, might have something if the there. distribution numbers cut in half, they'll make up for it by doubling the price instead of worrying about just trying to get better distribution and keeping the prices affordable because in the long run that'll still mean more profit for them ultimately, but they you know they're worried about surviving today they're not worried about tomorrow apparently
1: no no they're not cuz that strategy is the one that they seem to be using it's just well you know when the when the sales figures fall off just jack the price up so you're you're just continuing to live off the existing market and bilk them for every dollar you can you can only do that so long before yeah. it all falls apart and we're seeing that on sort of a national scale with you know the way we're treated with wages and taxes so I don't think they should be looking at that model as a business model but I don't know
4: well they're using the their model is they're using their model over and over again and it obviously isn't working it works for short periods of time and then they go down even lower and then they just keep doing it over and over again and yeah you just keep plateauing lower and lower every time so culture's changing and they're also slow to keep up with it, catch up with it.
1: In fairness though, of the big two, I do think Marvel's the one that's starting to turn things around and starting to get smart because you're talking about producing quality product. That was that was one of the reasons that uh I, I sent you the books that I did for the next segment for the Get Chris to Read segment. But let's uh, let's tidy this one up first and we can get into talking about all that because Paul still hasn't read his yet, and I'm very curious what's on his
2: list. Yes. Okay, well, you know, when you said this was a difficult list to make, I, I agree because I had a difficult time narrowing it down. Uh, my top five uh, has 11 people on it. <laughs> and, uh of the eleven, you guys have mentioned two. So that leaves me nine people that haven't been mentioned yet. So I'll try and get through it relatively quickly. No, we'll take off.
1: your time, brother. I'm, I'm <laughs> really gonna I'm gonna savor this, I believe.
2: I hope so. Number eleven is Kate Bosworth as Lois Lane. She was awful, in my opinion. She didn't fit the role at all. She never seemed strong. She never seemed smart. Uh, I think the only reason she got the role is because she had played Sandra D with uh, Kevin Spacey in Beyond the Sea, which was their last role before that movie came out. I just thought she was horrible. Number 10, Kevin Costner as Pa Kent. Not mm-hmm. only did I think the role was poorly written, I thought it was poorly acted. Uh... And I like Kevin Costner. I think he is, or he is capable of being a good actor. I think he stopped really working at being a good actor sometime in the early 1990s when he started doing mostly vanity projects. But I think he can be a good actor, but I really just thought he was miscast in that role totally. Uh, Number nine was Sylvester Stallone as Judge Tread, who we've already discussed. Oh, wow. Number eight, Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern movie. <laughs> I thought Ryan Reynolds actually played a pretty good Deadpool in Wolverine Origins when yeah. he was playing the part and when it wasn't computer generated at the end. I thought he plays the wisecracking wise ass really, really well. That's not really Hal Jordan. He was really kind of playing Kyle Rayner. And they were saying it was Hal Jordan, but he seemed totally miscast for that. I also liked him as, uh, was it Hannibal something or other in Blade Trinity? I I, I thought he was good in that, which was also the wisecracking role. Uh, What am I up to? 11, 10, 9, 8. Number 7, Eric Banez, Bruce Banner.
0: For all the reasons
2: (laughs) said... Uh, he was—he sucked. He just didn't fit the role at all. And like I said, you saw it even more in comparison to Edward Norton as Bruce Banner, who I agree played the most traditional Bruce Banner. Uh, and then uh, Mark Ruffalo kind of made the character his own and changed it a little bit, but also played a compelling, charismatic Bruce Banner. Eric uh, Eric Banner Eric didn't have the compelling or charisma, and he didn't have the... Bruce Banner from the comic so he had nothing going for him. Number six Nicolas (laughs) Cage as Johnny Blaze the Ghost Rider First of all Johnny Blaze is supposed to be 18 years old and Nicolas Cage is about two and a half times that (laughs) really just did not fit the role at all. Nicolas Cage wants so desperately to be in comic book movies that he will take any part apparently and it just doesn't fit You know, he needs at this point He's got to play, you know, an elder statesman. He can't be playing the kid who gets the power, uh, you know, the superpowers. Uh, Boy, it would have been awful if he played Clark Kent. I just can't imagine how bad that could have been. And and seeing pictures of him in the Superman uniform didn't do anything to uh, make me think it would have been any better at all. (laughs) Next on my list is Jessica Alba as Sue Sue Storm.
1: I damn near put that one on my list. Almost
2: yeah you sue know, sue storm is not supposed to be reed richards intellectual equal but she's supposed to be smart enough to be intriguing to him not just a hot blonde uh and and she had none of that she didn't there's nothing about her that that made me think of you know strong woman smart woman engaging woman nothing just just you know all she was was a swimsuit model in a uh, fantastic four outfit which is not bad to look at but It's certainly not playing the character.
1: But did you buy the chemistry between the two of them? Because I never did. In either of the two of those movies, I like him. I think he was a really good Reed Richards, although I thought he was far too young. And I tolerated her. But you put the two of them together and you're like, okay, this is what it feels like. These are two people that are cast in these roles that don't really have anything between them, and it really feels that way. It, yeah, I'll totally agree with
2: you. Miscast. Mm-hmm. Next on my list, for similar reasons, although a much better actress, Halle Berry is Storm. Storm, Storm should be exotic. She grew up, you know, she grew up a, a child thief in Egypt, and, and you know, in the, uh, the mountains of Cairo, and, and she was, you know, revered as being a goddess in Africa. Yeah. How, how does Halle Berry fit that role in any way, shape, or form? She
0: seems like
2: just a, she's she's a beautiful woman. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't argue that at all. But she doesn't have that mystique about her. She doesn't have anything that seems exotic or no, dark. right, right. Seems like you know, like like you know, she was she's from you know an urban area or uh, a. City area, you know. However, you want to say it, she does. She just does not have that exotic feel that you need. No, Storm. Storm. Storm almost needs to be like
4: Amazonian in proportions. Almost. Well, she's not big. She's still curvy, but she's got that powerful, striking personality and look. And Halle I, Berry just doesn't have that. I don't think.
1: Were those tennis women?
4: Were yes they, the serena williams yeah were in, they
1: popular yet at the time that that first movie came out I, I can not, see maybe not in the
4: first movie maybe but maybe i don't know yeah they, venus and serena williams would have been a great storm
2: yeah
4: they would be a they would be great girlfriends for chris honeywell too just saying
2: <laughs> <laughs> she's she's too old for the part now but i picture uh iman Oh, I thought you were going to say Grace oh. Jones. No Grace, no, no, Grace Jones was Jones too, too skinny, hard. and and Grace Jones wasn't you know sexy enough.
4: Yeah, no, I mean Storm Storm isn't like she's she's strong and muscular,
2: but she's curvy. She's got a so- soft right. edges to her, you know. Right. But I, but yeah. I you know like I said it, it, you'd have to go back twenty years, but I picture Iman. uh I, I just punched her up while we were talking about it. You know, she was born in Somalia. So right she you know she's got that that exotic feel that i mm-hmm. that i mm-hmm. you know would want in the character she doesn't seem like you know just an American woman who got you know picked up and you know say you're from africa right well i i'm you know, wasn't
1: trying to be racist or anything by what I said, but seriously, I think she got the role because she's black. It's somebody went down the
4: black actress at exactly the bushes
1: well, yeah. Somebody went down the, the list, uh, you know, the Hollywood list that they keep, you know, they, they see a particular thing and it says, Okay, we need black woman, all right. Who's hot in Hollywood? Who's a hot black woman? Well, we got Oprah Winfrey, nope, she's too fat, she's too old. Oh, we got Holly Bear. Yep, there you go. She just won Academy Award. Let's put her in there, regardless of the fact, she doesn't fit the friggin' character. And, uh, yeah, it's that uh, Hollywood
4: bullshit. Well, she I really mean, can't. that's because yeah. movies Nobody's are so expensive, and Halle Berry was putting
2: asses in the seats, so right. they were yeah. just yeah. like, okay, we'll put really her in there. Must, that's what I was just going to say. I don't think anybody's going to see the X-Men because Halle Berry's in it. If they went out and they did a uh, talent search... No, I don't know about that. There were, there's There's some
4: people, but I mean... It might be a turning point with like a group of people that are going to see the movie, and someone's like, "Well, okay, I guess Halle Berry's in it.
2: I liked her in this." You know, you know, you I mean, maybe when you're having like a boyfriend trying to talk his girlfriend into go and see the movie, and she sees name, she recognizes, and she says, "All right, we'll right. see that." Right. Halle Berry's in it. It's I don't think anybody going to see the X Men because Halle Berry's in it. I think, like I said, if you did a, a talent search and you found somebody who, who was a you know a beautiful black woman who who actually fit the role, ultimately you're going to be much better off.
4: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know I know I I know people who will who've gone to movies just because Polly Shore was in it. <laughs> right. So. and' committed. Yeah, I mean there's enough there's I mean that's why people have that box office. There's going to be some people who go to see every T- Tom Cruise movie cuz they're fa- there's there's fans who are just going to go see a movie to see. and I think Halle Berry was sort of in that in that in that Wheelhouse at that time where it was like people were going to but at the same time when you get to genre films, that's the sort of spoiler. I mean John Lithgow is an Oscar winning actor and Buckaroo Banzai
2: didn't do too hot right So, all right. moving on <laughs> uh, next on my list is Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face that's Tommy Lee Jones is an excellent actor uh, how he did not win an Emmy for playing Woodrow Cole and Lonesome Dove is beyond me just one of my favorite things of all time Uh, He he isn't a great actor, but all he did was put on some really, really bad makeup that didn't look like Two-Face at all, and then do his imitation of Jack Nicholson playing the Joker. It was awful. One of the worst performances ever by a great actor. Hmm. See,
1: I briefly considered that one, except for, I have to be honest, I actually liked him in the role. I didn't think he was faithful at all to the comic book. Well, any version of Two-Face that I can really remember. I like my, my Two-Face more serious, but I enjoyed him for the campiness that, that he brought to that role. If I was going to, to bust on anybody in that particular movie, because of all the live-action Batman films, and again, I'll say this for the millionth time, I haven't really cared for any. Live-action Batman films so far, but of all the ones we've gotten so far, if I have a favorite, it would have to be Batman Forever. I, that's the one I thought came the closest, or came, you know, what was the least egregious of all the ones there have been so far. From that movie, I'd take uh, uh, Carrie. Jim Carrey as the Riddler. I thought he was horrible in that, but. Yeah, he was too.
2: And when you say that's your favorite one, that's that's when we reach the point that I pat you on the head and walk away. <laughs> Which one's your favorite
1: one of the of the live action? Uh, you,
2: you don't even want to get into that. One, oh, you know?
1: dude. Uh, yeah, we want to keep this show moving along, I guess.
2: <laughs> uh, so next on my list, Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher.
1: Oh, I considered that
2: one too. What the hell were they thinking? I, I, well, you know, he, he showed such range in Rocky Four. We got to get him to play the Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> when when, he, when when he when they put, touched gloves, and he said, "I must break you," brought a tear to my eye, man. I mean, you might might possibly
1: be able to make a shitty argument that if he stood you know, the right way in a dark alley or something that he kind of, sort of, not really physically resembles the Punisher. But that's no. it. That's as far as it would go. I mean, he doesn't <laughs> act <laughs> like him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you. What the hell? Is that your number one? No, I got one more. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, you're right. It, I. What the hell were they thinking? Because, yeah. I can remember when that was announced in the letters columns and they had the, you know, they had the articles and what was it like Marvel age or whatever. And I was just like, I didn't even like the Punisher back then. I, I mean, I was only kind of peripherally aware of who he even was and the whole popularity of him. And I, even then I remember thinking, what <laughs> the guy, the Russian guy from Rocky four,
2: what? Yeah. I'll, I, I totally agree with you, dude. My last one on my list. Get back to the Fantastic Four movies one last time. Uh oh, Julian McMahon as Doctor Doom. What the hell were they thinking? They get the guy from Nip Tuck to play Doctor Doom. He, he, he's supposed to be from. He's you know just like with Storm, he's supposed to be Latvarian. yet you know he he sounds like you just pulled him out of some you know boardroom in in Manhattan. Uh, he, he's wisecracking. He doesn't have that, that imperious uh, feel about him. He doesn't have that pompousness about Well, he did have a little bit of the pompousness, but that was all he had. It didn't fit the Doctor Doom, like where you feel it's almost justifiable, the pompousness. Uh, he didn't have any regal air about him. He didn't have a European air about him. He had nothing that the character of Doctor Doom should have. They, they should have just not had him speak at all. He was, he was terrible.
1: Alright, playing devil's advocate, I'm not going to defend the guy because I agree with everything that you just said, but is it the guy or is it what he was given to work with?
4: Well, I was going to say that sounds more like it was the way they crafted the character
2: yeah well they did they, I, But I think they wrote the character Around the actor that they chose uh, was, even on I, I didn't watch Nip Tuck to speak of But I saw one or two episodes And he would play kind of the flippant wise guy You know in love with himself Doctor And and they just had him kind of playing that role As Doctor Doom So I, I You know it's the chicken or the egg thing right. As far as what, what, what was worse The casting or the writing They were both horrible because See,
1: in the second movie, I actually liked him quite a bit because I thought the character was much close. He wasn't perfect, but I thought he was much closer in the second movie to the traditional Doom that we know, especially when he tricks the surfer into letting Doom steal his board and then he takes it for a joyride and fights the Fantastic Four. That was some of the parts of that movie that I thought worked the best, was like, okay, this is Doom. I actually liked that. But, of course, by then, he's he's fully made up, and you're not really seeing that. It could have been anybody, you know, on that board. And the
2: story arc was Doom. Yeah. The dialogue wasn't. Hmm. You know what I mean? They they didn't give him Doom things to say. You know, get a good ba out of him. Get him to call somebody a lackey, you know? Get him... Get him. To smack smack some underling around. you know, yeah. Get him to do something Doom-like. Just, you know, the the fact that he stole the surface powers and he stole his, his surfboard, yeah, that was cool, because that's what Doom did in the comics. Right. But they still, like I said, the dialogue they gave him, the the way they... you know, I mean, he was even in the second movie. They even had him working with the uh, U.S. Army. You know, he's supposed to be a Latvian national. He's not supposed to be working with the U.S. Army.
1: Right. Yeah, that's true. So, I thought of that.
2: You know, yeah, the overall concept that they took from the comics was fine, but the execution of it was terrible. Have you ever seen the unreleased um, Roger Corman FF movie? Uh, I've seen it in dribs and drabs. I've probably seen the entire movie that way, but I've never sat and watched it from beginning to end. That's one of those movies
1: that we need to do some sort of defense for at some time, because I think that movie gets shit unjustifiably granted what it is it's
4: pretty good yeah it's basically just a placekeeper copyright
1: that's it that is literally exactly what that movie was and granted that you know the movie was made on a budget of about a buck 50 but for what it is i think it's fairly good and i think you'd like it paul because doom in that is doom he's comic book doom he looks good. Doom, Doom and, acts... and The
2: Thing both look better than they did in the higher budget movies.
1: Uh, I'll argue The Thing only because I don't think either one of them looked good, but The, the Thing from the Carmen
2: version looks like Shit Man from the old Green Jelly video. <laughs>
3: um,
2: you, know what, you know what I liked about The Thing in the higher budget movies, I like the Foley work they did, where when he moves, you actually hear, like, stones scraping against each other. Yeah, I liked that.
1: See, it was a shame to me that... Damn, what's that actor's name? Michael Chiklis. Uh, Michael Chiklis. He's great in that role. It's just his makeup job was shit. That's the only problem with that, is that I thought he was a really good Ben Grimm uh, I just didn't like the physical. He didn't look enough like comic book Ben Grimm. Uh, but you know, he and uh, and Chris Evans was great. I thought as Johnny Storm, they had a really good chemistry together and all that. But uh, yeah, I agree with you that that Doom doesn't work in that movie. Although again, I, I did like him a lot better in the second one. But uh, yeah, if you've never seen it start to finish, I would encourage you to take a look at uh, the Corman one because for all the problems with that it hits damn close to the comics it it's very faithful and uh the doom armor in that looks you know pretty faithful got a whole kind of darth vader thing going on in that movie that i enjoyed quite a bit but i don't know i'm i was excited about the whole reboot thing until i heard some of the rumors floating around about it and if they prove to be true then i don't know that i'll be going to see the new one because it
2: I think it's going to suck, but we'll see. Interesting little uh, trivia moment, though, is uh, remember in, in the first Fantastic Four, the 2005 one, uh-huh. the girl who played uh, the thing's fiance, who then left him because of uh, his change uh-huh. was Laurie Holden from The Walking Dead. Really? Yeah. yeah. What's, what's her name? Uh, Andrea from The Walking Dead.
1: Oh wow! I'm gonna have to see. I'm gonna have to sit and watch that again. Now I haven't seen those movies. In a while. I haven't watched the first one again. In a, I think maybe I've watched it once since I got it on DVD right after it came out. The second yeah, maybe one. I've that's a, watched maybe that's maybe that's a, a commentary
4: mon- monthly Monday for the future.
1: I, I would I would be down for that. I'd be back, if we were going to do that though. I'd want to do them back to back because I really like the second one.
2: Well, I'd have to watch them first, right, I think they both have positive moments that are enjoyable, and definitely, they both have yeah. things about them that kind of make you cringe, yeah, I don't think hard. either one is you know is totally awful, but right
1: no i I you won't know, agree with that
2: yeah, but neither, you know they, but they definitely have flaws
1: I think the biggest problem with both of those movies now that I really think about it, I think they both actually suffer from the same problem is that. The the big problem for me with the second one, the one that I really, really like, is, of course, that ending I went on about about with Galactus. But also the first one is kind of feels like it's building toward being a good movie. And right about the time it's hitting that point where it's like, okay, this is kind of kicking in, it ends. And they take out the big baddie, Doctor Doom, in about a minute and a half. And I'm like, what? This is the guy that they fought in the comics for 50 years, and he's a freaking chump that they take out (laughs) just before the closing credits? What the hell was that all about?
2: Yeah, Uh, it was a little bit of a quick quick resolution. Uh, Chris, I think you'd you'd get a kick out of watching them and comparing Chris Evans and how he played Johnny Storm as compared to how he played Steve Rogers, because... He really shows some range when you consider those two different roles and how different They're they are. They're completely different people, yeah. Well, one's has a huge ego
4: and the other one's humble and... And... Yeah,
2: I mean it's and and you know as Johnny Storm he's he's you know like a wise cracking, quick witted mm-hmm. guy, whereas you know he's so earnest as Steve Rogers, and and it it like I said it shows a lot of range to to think he could do both of those roles as well as he did because I would say he was probably the strongest actor in the uh, Fantastic Four movies, mm-hmm. even though I agree with Scott that Michael Chiklis did well in the role. Well, well he's cause...
4: another one of those like Shelley Duvall. He was born to play The Thing. He's perfect. Although I think John Goodman would be a good voice for The Thing, too. I could hear
2: that. Uh, John, John Goodman's, I think, overexposed. I don't think, yeah. you know, because of that, I think his voice is too recognizable for yeah. other things, and it, it would take you out of the movie a little.
1: I wish uh, what's-his-name was still around. The guy that, that... Stan Lee always said was his inspiration for the, the wow. What the hell is it? the guy with the schnoz there? That oh, Jimmy Durante. Uh, Jimmy Durante. He always uh, claimed that it was Jimmy Durante was the voice of the thing in the comics when he wrote him. That was the voice that he was oh, channeling. Really? And uh, I always thought that was a really cool that idea. Pretty funny, yeah. Yeah. So it's a shame
2: he's not still around. But uh, <laughs> he'd be like 120 yeah. A <laughs>
4: it would be more than that, yeah. You'd be just a raisin hooked up to life support <laughs> with a big nose.
1: Well, is that all we got on top five? I think five? so. That's, that's
2: my very long top five.
1: No, that was excellent. That was We got some good discussion out of that. All right, so this time around was... Top five uh, worst cast actors in a superhero movie, so next time do we want to flip it around and do uh, the top five most inspired casting decisions for superhero flicks? How does that sound
4: that sounds fun yeah I like
1: that that sounds idea. good,
2: but here's, here's my challenge to you guys to not do the really, really obvious, and i'm going to give one away like give my my definition of obvious no away, Christopher example. Reeves. No, well, Chris, You know what? Christopher Reeves, I think, would fit, because Christopher Reeves was an unknown quantity who they yeah. found to play that role. Um, my suggestion is let's try and avoid the actor who everybody says, oh, he was born to play that role. And, and the example I have is Patrick Stewart playing Professor X. Everybody, <laughs> when, they, when they said they're going to cast that movie, everybody was saying, oh, Patrick Stewart's the part, Patrick Stewart's the part. When he was cast, everybody says, oh, well, duh. You I, know mean, I mean?
1: guarantee you that that would not make my list because I was actually. I don't think that's inspired. That, like, it was yeah. it
2: was good good
4: casting, but it yeah, wasn't I'm like especially. Well, that's my point. It's yeah. obvious. Yeah. It's okay. Because it's obvious. Yeah. So yeah, okay. So we'll put a little more fine tuning onto it then. Right. All right. I agree with that. I'm up. I'm up for that. Well. Now it's time for
1: everybody's favorite part of the show Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. 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 comic.
4: Die. <laughs> There's an intro for you. You've stunned me with your stupidity. <laughs> it's like a blunt hammer. This month, on Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic, I am reading Guardians of the Galaxy, number 0.1. First of all, what kind of stupid comic number is 1 This comic starts off with a cute blonde on a phone, and she is at her country house when an X-Wing fighter crashes in her front lawn. She saves the <laughs> alien guy, who looks like sort of Leonardo DiCaprio alien. He tells her he is fighting a space war and stays long enough to fix his ship and scrog the hot earth girl. Ten years later surprise! She has a ten year old alien son. He looks like his dad and he is a scrapper just like his old man. He likes to beat schoolyard bullies up and read comic books. Things are going pretty okay for him until some skinny aliens who are bad uh, because they are green and ugly come and fry his mom like an egg. Then they blow up his house real good, but Pete the Star Kid gets away with his dad's space gun. Then we see him as a grown-up, and he was telling the story all along to Tony Stark and a bunch of Star Wars Cantina aliens. And they are going to fight the Badoons in space. Not only are the Badoons ugly, but they have bad in their name. So you know they are the bad guys. This comic was okay I guess. It didn't have a lot of dumb words to read. But it was a ripoff because Rocket Raccoon was only in one picture. I like Rocket Raccoon. He is cool, and he should be the star of the Guardians of the Galaxy because a talking raccoon is always cooler than a talking person. Plus, he shoots stuff. I like shooting raccoons in comics, but I would be scared of them in real life if they had guns. The end. (laughs) (sighs) So you liked it? It was okay, I I, li- I liked it It was, uh, it was it, It's obviously like a Like a lead up comic Right So it's pretty light on content And the story For the most part Is pretty much been told a million times Right But the way it's told is pretty entertaining And I like the art, the art's really nice Yeah In it And, uh I would definitely, I would definitely read the rest of the the series based on the. Is this that? Is that where Guardians of the Galaxy started? No, no. Okay. Guardians
1: of the Galaxy's actually been around since the sometime in the '60s. Okay, okay, that's what I thought. And existed in a much different incarnation. This is arguably like the what Paul
2: like fourth incarnation at this point. Definitely at have... least a third. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, I, w- I would recommend for your listening pleasure that you listen to my guest appearance on the comic book page pro- uh, <laughs> podcast when we did a review of the uh, early appearances of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Not to uh, tune my own horn there, but was Rocket Raccoon in it? No, no. he didn't I even exist care. back then. <laughs> uh, but it was a the original uh, appearance, the very first appearance, which was in Marvel Superheroes. Oh, 18. I guess 14 or 18, 18. somewhere around there, uh, was drawn by Gene Coleman, so it was kind of cool. Very first appearance of Rocket Raccoon? No, the no. very first appearance of Rocket Raccoon, I believe, was an issue in an issue of the Hulk. Right. Like around 256... Something I don't like know if that, that, yeah. I don't know if that I, – I could be wrong on that number, but that's that's about where I'm guessing for him. Uh, he, he only became a member of the Guardians uh, with the whole Annihilation uh, series that came out, yep. which is – what is that, Scott, about? Maybe about six years ago now?
3: Um, uh,
1: something like that. Let me look – I can look it up for you real quick because I – that's where I got interested in. Oh, you know what? I can't either. I don't have that hard drive hooked up.
0: But that's I where love- I got
1: interested in it. Was uh, everybody kept telling me, "Oh, you got to read Annihilation. You got to read Annihilation." And I was not interested because it's Marvel Cosmic, which always bores the shit out of me. And I was like, "I'm just not. I don't care." And then they announced that there were you know the one of the big Marvel movies coming up was going to be Guardians of the Galaxy, and this would. This would really be the first of this new wave of Marvel movies, you know, the Avengers related movies. This would have been the first one to come out where I would really have not known anything about it. You know, I knew, you know, about Iron Man and Cap and Thor and all the other ones that have come out. Guardians, complete blind spot for me. So I'm like, well, I kind of want to get up to speed on this. So I jumped in, I, I read Annihilation and was immediately hooked by several of the aspects of it. And the one that really grabbed me the most, I think, was uh was Guardians of the Galaxy. Because I always had a real negative connotation related to the Guardians of the Galaxy, because to me it was the classic guys you're talking about from back in, you know, the Marvel superheroes. It was uh Yandu, that was it. Yandu
2: and... who's going to be played by, uh, uh, what's his name from The Walking Dead? Uh, the Walking Dead, yeah. The, with the hand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Merle. Oh,
1: Merle, yeah. So it was those guys, and, and they just never managed to really click with me. But this team of Guardians is completely different. You've got Star-Lord, you've got Drax the Destroyer, you've got Rocket Raccoon Groot. Now, Gru, I had a personal connection with because I actually used to have the issue of, I think it was Tales to Astonish,
2: that was his first appearance. Tales to Astonish, number 13, from November of 1960.
1: Yep, I used to own that. And, you know, all these characters that I actually did know who they were, kind of thrown together, team of freaks kind of thing. I'm always a sucker for that. I always like team of freaks kind of comics.
2: Kind of, and, kind of hits home with us.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and it's, it was just a really, really solid read. I enjoyed it a lot, and it really sucked me into the whole Annihilation thing that went on. It was a couple different miniseries, and then it went into War of Kings, and then it went into the Annihilators, and all these different things. And I've really, really gotten into it. But then when they did Marvel Now, they did sort of a soft reboot of a lot of Marvel characters and and concepts, but the one that it really seemed to hit hard, it, it hit two of them really hard, which was Guardians and Nova. And I'm reading both, and I'm enjoying both, but so far there seems to be a serious disconnect between where the previous series ended and where these new ones are picking up, and I'm not sure yet if I really like it. I like this uh, this preview issue of Guardians, but so far what Bendis is doing on the new Guardians series, it just doesn't seem to mesh with what uh, Abnett and Lanning were doing with the prior incarnation. And I liked that take a lot. I liked where the characters were, who the characters were, and where the story was heading, so
2: I don't know. gabinet and Landing are are great cosmic writers. Oh yes, they they really have a grasp for that, and they they make it just so accessible. And I think that's the key to it is is you don't want to make cosmic; you want it on a grand scale but you don't want it so that it's too intimidating to read. I, uh, honestly, if, if you start from the beginning, I always thought Jim Starlin was similar in his own way, mm-hmm. that, that you could just follow along the storyline, and, and even though it would be on a grand scale, you, you know, there'd be a small enough story contained within that so that you could read it and, and really enjoy it. To this day, what
1: they're doing with the cosmic stuff, still a lot of Starlin stuff is is still playing out through that. So many of the characters are connected to that, and and yeah. still kind of playing out his designs.
2: That uh, he's been an incredible influence
1: on the cosmic
2: stuff. Well, I mean, he create he created Thanos, he created Drax the Destroyer, he created uh, Moon Dragon, mm-hmm. he created. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else uh, Gamora. I mean, he, Did he, he create real-
1: Gr- Gamora or Gamora? Yeah, he created whatever Gamora
2: and and Pip, and he really. He didn't create, but he gave the personalities to go on uh to warlock and uh captain Marvel right he really took two two you know very cookie cutter characters and and gave them basically their whole cosmic backgrounds absolutely so i mean he 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 really came up with a ton of stuff that was uh you know, just rich to be mined, uh, which, you know, a lot of writers, including Abner and, Land- and Landon- Landing, have done. Uh, I looked up Rocket Raccoon while you were talking, and uh, he first appeared actually in Marvel Preview number 7, which was in the summer of 1976. But his follow-up appearance to that was in The Hulk, uh, and I already lost the issue here where it said it, well, like funny. 271, I think it was, yeah. 271, in May of 1982. So he went six years between his first appearance and his second. Chris, didn't you used to have that? Was the I, Hulk issue you talked yeah,
1: about? Yeah, I thought so. I know well, I well,
4: I used to have Hulk 181 right. I have that time too. ago. But I don't think I had the Rocket Raccoon one. I de- definitely had the, uh, what was it, a two-issue miniseries? Uh, four, I think. I it four, four, I had five, the Mike miniseries. Mignola.
1: Some early, early Mike Mignola. It might even be the earliest Mike Mignola. I'm not sure, but I know it's very early Mike Mignola. Because I remember you had one that started out in the first page. It was the song. Yeah, it was the Beatles song, but retooled just a little bit to say Rocket Raccoon. And, uh,. I thought that was the Hulk issue but maybe it was the first issue of the mini. I can't remember
4: now, but Well, he probably they they probably had him in the Hulk and people were like, "We really like Rocket Raccoon," so they came up with the mini to sort of and and it had that feel of just sort of a toss off, you know. Right. We're just going to make this funny and a sort of tribute to the Beatles song in a weird sort of cosmic way you know and uh i loved it it was really quirky and just a strange little sidebar marvel thing and uh it was always one of my favorite i wonder if i still have it i have to dig around and see if i still got that i don't think i do but uh i'd love to i'd love to reread that See, I, think, I wonder if that's going to start being like going up in price on eBay and stuff because of this movie.
1: I don't know. I mean, if the movie plays out well, what, what I would do is like right before the movie's about to break, might be the time to pop that up on eBay.
4: Oh, I don't want to sell it. I'm thinking about
1: <laughs> if I don't have it, go oh to go get go, it. go and finding one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure those this probably is isn't out the time really good to now. buy it though.
2: Yeah. If, if you're looking for a good price on it, I doubt that this is the time to go out and get it. I know, right.
4: I know, but of course, this is of course that's why I'm thinking about it because and that because everybody else is too. Right. God damn it. <laughs>
2: Sorry. Always a wet blanket. I I, uh, I had a similar experience to what you said about it. Not you know not taking too long to read this one. Uh, I actually made a mistake when you said which issue we were going to do and I went I went and read Guardians of the Galaxy number one mm-hmm. thinking that's what we were going to do uh, and then five minutes before the show began I realized it was point one so I ran and got it and it took me like three minutes to read it yeah,
4: exactly it.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, so yeah. it's, it's fine for what it is but it, not it's a lot not, of not exactly a lot of content uh, uh-huh. I, I, did, I did appreciate the art I, I really liked I thought it was uh, very clean uh, it doesn't seem to have that photo reference style to it, although it may be photo referenced, but if it is, it's done well enough that it doesn't bother me. Uh, it doesn't have that muddy coloring look like sometimes you see with Steve McNiven. I don't know why they do that. Like the very dreary color palette. Right. Uh, that, that they don't seem to have in this. It seems to have, no, That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certain scenes, uh, you know, the romantic scene between uh, what's in Peter Quill's uh, Mother and Father, you know, that's very muted and dim. But other than that, everything else seems to be bright, you know, normal colors. Or when the aliens come, actually, it's kind of muted as well. But again, that's to fit the mood of the moment that they're showing. It's not just a muddy color palette for the sake of having one, which I found that with McNiven's work... uh, was it on Captain America that they did it? I think it may have been. Uh, where It just seemed to be the norm that they, were, they would go with the very muddy palette. Right. Which I did not like. In this instance, I did like his work very much.
1: Yeah, I, I had sent Chris uh, basically three modern comics. My, my intent with this was to, for, for a change, just to shake things up a little bit, to go with something very, very recent. And uh, I was just really curious what he would think of these, but so maybe next time we'll uh, we'll continue and go on to a, one of the other uh, yeah. recent ones as well, because I'm just curious what you would have thought of it. I liked this. I, I'm curious where it's going. I'm still holding fast to the the prior incarnation, the one just before this being better. But I'm curious where it's headed because I I would consider myself officially a fan of the Guardians now and I'm really psyched for the movie I hope the movie's good
2: I hope the movie has the Abnett and Lanning feeling to it Having read issue one one of the things I didn't like was have you read issue one? I have. It's been a little
1: while, so I'm trying to remember exactly what happened in issue one. Now. Iron Man has a slightly more prominent
2: role in that one.
1: See, that was and... one of the things that threw me, is where the hell did Iron Man come from? Because the the previous series ended, and several characters were missing or dead. Now they're back. Iron Man has never been a part of this team. Now he's there like he's always been there. I'm like, what? Where? Where did this come Oops. from? I'm missing something. I think they're something. treating it
2: like he's on vacation, like he he just needed to leave Earth for right. whatever reason. Something that happened in his own series. Right. And that, you know, in in that time, he's basically taking a vacation and spending time with the Guardians. Uh, but I didn't like the armor the way they drew it in the first issue. It, the, ma- mainly the faceplate. It doesn't look like Iron Man to me.
1: He looks uh, like Sunfire, and, doesn't he?
2: Yeah. it's It's just something like, you know, i i'm i'm okay with them constantly morphing the suit and updating it and changing it but there's certain he should still always be recognizable and the faceplate is one of the things that should be recognizable you should see that face and know that's iron man and i didn't like that they changed that but again that's not the issue we we're covering here today anyway so
1: no that's it's perfectly valid no i agree with you i, I... I like, in theory, the idea of spacefaring Iron Man being part of the team. I, I don't have a problem with it, but I wish that they had... See, the problem with Marvel... Well, it's not just Marvel. The problem with modern comics these days, as far as the big two, is that they don't give you damn footnotes anymore. It's, it's like yeah, they just I, expect you to have read everything and know everything, and if, if you don't, well, it's your own damn fault. And I, I really am offended by that it's like you know i mean back in the day i I tried to these days you've priced me out of being able to keep up with everything that's going on in your damn universe so throw me a bone i i like like i say i like the idea of iron man being part of the team i just know i wish i knew where to go and find how did this come about because i read everything that was guardians leading up to this how the hell did i miss this Either this really is out of left field or it happened in somebody else's book or, or
2: a I think it happened actually in the Iron man series
1: i'm yeah, pretty I'm sure,
2: sure it did, and when you think about it, you know Iron Man has gone from being you know. All, all due respect to the character he's gone from being a B-list character the movies have made him an A-list character oh absolutely so yeah. you could see why they might say hey we have this property, the Guardians of the Galaxy we think it's really good but nobody's going to buy it if we don't give him a reason to so why don't we take Iron Man and temporarily throw him on the team and then hope that it takes off and then we could have him leave and go back to Earth because then you know, people will be familiar with the characters and we can work from there Right. That's. I, I would imagine that's that's the thought process and all of this. Plus, you know, throwing him in that into that, you know, gives you a, a little bit of a, a an opening for some new type of stories because Iron Man has never really been much of a cosmic character, even though he's got the ability to be.
1: Absolutely.
4: I'm completely lost in all of it. <laughs> The only thing I know about is Rocket Raccoon and Iron Man, but it, it's, yeah, it was, so I, I didn't even question, it. I was just like, oh, okay, that, so Iron Man's in this too. Now, are you, are you familiar with Groot at all?
2: No. Because you I would mean, actually I've get a picture. I've seen what out. he
4: looks like, but, you, you know, a picture of him and Groot, and, I, and it always stuck in my head because I like the sound of Groot. And
2: yeah. that's all he says is, I am Groot. Ah, That's his only dialogue. I like him even better. But, but, like, they've had scenes where basically Rocket Raccoon understands him when he speaks. Like, understands mm-hmm. what he's... Apparently, the he way the he says... I group, what each group yeah, means. There's a different inflection to it. So it, it, that's how how he expresses different meanings. So Rocket Raccoon understands him. And uh, Black Bolt's crazy brother, Maximus the Mad, understood everything he'd say. Like, he, you know, he'd, he'd kind of... He'd be standing there and he'd say, you know, I am Groot. And then uh, Maximus would be, oh, that's an interesting theory.
3: You
2: really <laughs> think so? <laughs> so it, was, it was, you know, they say subtle inflection. Yeah, really.
4: All that being said, knowing nothing about it, I'm looking forward to the movie. I just have a good feeling about it because it's one of those things where if I haven't heard about it, that means they must have some confidence. There must be somebody with a vision involved with it. Otherwise, how the hell else is it getting made? You know, uh, was there a lot of demand for a Guardians of the Galaxy movie? I somehow doubt it. Yeah, no, I
2: don't think there was. Right, think, right. I so that, that means something's up with property. it. I, I think the Abinett and Landing take on, on these characters is actually what. Revived them as as a viable property, and uh, you know the, now they've put you know basically their uh, number one creator Brian Bendis on it. Now he could take what Abnett and Lending did and screw it over, but you know um, just the fact that they put him on it at all says they have confidence in it.
4: Yeah, some, something just says this is someone's pet, and they they talked him into it. So that that that's a good sign. And if it ends up being a train crash, it might be a really spectacular one too. I don't know. It's sort I of hope, weird. John that. C. Riley's a weird person to see in a comic movie, but he can do he can act in any direction too, so. Very I don't curious. think I've ever
2: seen him in a serious role. He's
4: the um um Boogie Nights. I can't say I've ever sat through Boogie Nights either. Oh, well, he was playing a dramatic role in it.
2: <laughs> anyway, um, I'll take but you yeah, look. no, he's that's done... also like twenty years ago, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, who's he playing in Guardians?
4: I have no idea. He looks just like himself. You know what I mean? <laughs> he looks just like John you C. C- Riley. No,
1: I, I actually haven't paid attention to who's cast for what role with that. I, I'm trying to stay. Spoiler-free on that. So, Well, actually, it says... Which guy are we talking about?
3: John John C. Riley. Okay,
1: no, I'm looking at... uh, I'm trying to figure out here. That's why I've been quiet for a moment. I'm trying to figure out if I can find somewhere what explains the disconnect between the two series. Because, all right, this is a big old spoiler, so if you don't want to know, fast-forward a little bit. But at the end of the prior series... Star-Lord and Nova were lost, presumed dead. And then, of course, we pick up this new series, and there he is. He's the main character again. He's right there front and center in the preview issue and in issue one. So that was the big trigger to me that, all right, something's happened here. But I can't seem to find out anything about it. Anyway, I'm looking at Star-Lord's bio here. It says Chris Pratt is set to play him in the movie, but...
4: Well, here's the thing, Scott. Though it, maybe they're going to go the fancy writing route and reveal have it, it over start, time. Yeah, have it start out with everybody going, "What the hell's going on?" And then, like, putting pieces together slowly over time that tell you how you got to that point. That's uh you know, the the basically the Quentin Tarantino narrative structure, right? Of giving it to you in dribs and drabs from different directions. John C. Riley is he the guy that voiced Wreck-It Ralph?
2: Maybe. Yes, yes he is.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, it says he here that in, he's step
2: brothers with Will Smith. Uh, not Will Smith with Will Farrell.
1: Says here that he's going to play Roman Day, the leader of the Nova Corps. All right, that I
2: could see, because that can be a uh, you know a, a regular. Human type character. See, so. I
1: I just read Nova, and I, who the hell is Roman Day?
2: I, he, he might be a very minor character, yeah, in the comics, he, he, or he may not be a character at all in the comics. Yeah, just you know, the head of the Nova Corps, right? But what you know? I mean, that that's like I said, I could see though, you know, that that doesn't have to be, you know, an alien character necessarily. Cause I, I get the feeling play an alien.
4: I got that feeling that he was probably going to be some sort of bookend or like the the council of what the the council from like the Bill and Ted's movies who show up once or twice in the movie right and and at some point might come and go and then this came to pass and blah 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 so he might be like setting up and then winding up the story like in a narrative so that's that's the total feel I got from his scene but then again that also had the feel that it might have been a scene that they shot just for the trailer you know right Uh, maybe of him improvising and uh and they use that one line because it was particularly funny or whatever
1: see i like that it's going to have the ones that have the characters that have been revealed for the lineup of this Ronan the Accuser is going to be in this movie and I'm, I'm like oh man it sounds
4: like a fun person to have at a, a party I am a mark for Ronan the Accuser
1: I think he's cool as hell he's, he's basically like alien Thor and uh, I just think he's cool as hell so I'm, I'm sold right there you're making a movie you're putting Ronan in it alright I'm, I'm down for that I think that'll be cool who has my lighter? Didst thou steal my lighter? <laughs> but it I mean was they can you. go they can go so many pla if this movie plays well, they can go so many places from here. And I think again, if the movie plays well and if it's popular, then this really opens up not just Marvel Cosmic and everything that's out there. But this really opens comic book movies wide open, so that if you do them right, if you do them with with verisimilitude and all that, you there's pretty much nothing that that's off the table at that point.
2: Right. You can yeah, if, if they can do Rocket Raccoon and Groot, yeah, and, and have it go over well, they can do anything. Exactly.
4: How can they not go over well. That's the thing. They might not be popular characters, but if people, I mean. Who cannot like a raccoon blasting away with a giant machine gun that one shot of him he looks hey looks like a real raccoon it's just it just because if like they don't find right
2: it's gonna look silly that's it, that's why here's the
4: thing look. though I think they can make it a little bit silly and it'll be appealing you know right and it looks no, like it, it, they it, might be going that route a little bit you know
2: not taking okay it that, too seriously. I'm okay with that because I feel like the comic mo- book movies have decided to take themselves too seriously now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they've gotten to the point where you know, oh, we can't do that, we can't do that. Oh, nobody would do that in real life. Well, you know what? Let me get newsflash for you. Nobody does any of this stuff in real life. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, so so they can wear costumes. You know, I, you know, if you want to make the costume look a little less silly than some of the characters have, that's fine. But but you know, this whole thing that you know they have to be clad in you know leather. Uh, Jackets and everything. I, I think that era has come and gone. Hopefully, and we can get back yes. To wearing yeah. costumes again. Yeah. they don't have to be bad spandex, but you know they can. Well, that's what I think. I think one of the big problems with
4: costumes is is it's really hard to get actual costumes that look like they would look in a comic book. You know, that look fit right and everything in the comic book. You know, you don't have the weird. You know wrinkles that are going to show up when you're moving. So they, then you
2: CGI those out.
4: Yeah, you, yeah. That's a lot of that costs a lot of money, though. <laughs> well, you know what? They spend an awful lot of money
2: in these movies. So I that's think they can handle it. That's true. Okay. That's true.
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, when you when you do it with quality and you make it sell and it sells a billion and a half every single time you put one out, there's your money to do it better and bigger every time. Right. So I, I don't think they need to be cheaping out. I think they need to continue the quality and uh you know, that's what I'm loving about this. The the quality is what's making these things. Because there and, is and a-
2: taking time to make sure they have good scripts and that's huge. Because that's ultimately where these movies fail. As yeah, they, no, they're putting they a put lot of thought
4: into who the director is, yep. and everything. They really, you know, what the tone of it is. They 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 really seem to be paying attention to mistakes of the past, which is a re- which is something you're not used to in the comic book industry. Anything involved with the comic book industry, so that's what makes it so. Amazing with with Marvel because it's not unheard of for a franchise or something, a continuing thing to be of high quality, you know, with ups and downs. But like James Bond, right, been around for like forty years and or plus, and yeah, almost fifty years, and pretty much always. When someone makes a James Bond movie, there's good and there's bad James Bond movies, but a lot of work is put into it, and a lot of effort and thought is put into who directs it and who casts it and who who does a song at the beginning of it, and they have fun with it too at the same time. And I think Marvel's caught on to that, and I think it's just doubly amazing to us because, you know, who would have expected that from Marvel or DC? Yeah. And DC's sort of acting out the traditional comic book role of just like going, okay, we've got one thing that worked. Let's do it every time, you know, let's get all the same people and all the same things. Let's do 10,000 variations on it till nobody wants it anymore and hope that something else comes along that we can do that with.
1: I'm hoping that they're eventually going to catch on though. I'm I'm hoping that they're eventually going to figure out whatever this magical it is. That that Marvel has figured out, they're going to get on board, and they're going to they're going to start
4: producing some really quality movies. Well, I think what they're doing is is cheaper, ends up being cheaper, and in to you know, and when it comes down to bottom line, they still make money. So they're like, oh, we're doing okay. I'm sure, you know, and I think if they got it and they implemented it. Then all of a they would definitely make more money. As a matter of fact, that's when they could start getting their Avengers mm-hmm. cash, you know? And I mean, th- that's the thing. And they seem to understand that they have Superman, and Superman is always going to draw in a certain amount of people. So they just sort of have that, but they know they can only do it once in a while. So every once in a while, and and it's it's just cynical and bottom liney, you know, where the Marvel stuff is like, let's take a little extra time, put a little extra money into it, and not only do they get extra, you know, good money for it, they get goodwill, you know, they get people going, wow, you know, this is great, and now they have that goodwill so they could put out a guardians of the galaxy that uh, most people are going to be going what the hell is this but they're going to go oh it's a marvel it's like pixar it's like oh okay you know yeah, building that brand you know you recognition. might go, you, yeah. you know you might walk into like a weak pixar movie but a weak pixar movie is still better than your average cgi movie so with the Marvel movies, it's okay. It's like okay, you might not get the best one, but at least it's going to have something going on, you know. Mm-hmm. At least so far, at least you have a good good odds anyway.
2: You're, yeah, there's, there's, there's that balancing ones. between the creative people and the. Uh... You know, the, the beam counters. Yeah. And that's I uh-huh. think where you get into trouble. I think, you know, when when you look at the Star Trek movie franchise, and I'm not talking about the current reboot, I'm talking about the uh the original cast. And I think that suffered not so much as far as the quality of the scripting or whatever, because I think there were you know, they, they still had quality to some extent as they went on. But if you you could see that each movie they decided, let's cut the budget just a little bit. Uh huh. So that we can get more profit out of this, and and there was definitely some, uh, you know, some some drop off with the special effects and everything on that, and and that did hurt them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's William Shatner cites that big time for Star Trek V. That that he was supposed to have a budget for all these special effects, and then little by little they whittled it away from him, and and all these scenes that he had this spectacular image in his mind, uh, you know, he had to yeah just that's what happens it, when you can't it in so industrial much. lights and magic. No, I mean I don't know how much of that is reality and how much of that is what William Shatner says happened. You know, oh he might no, have I mean his budget to, to begin with, but certainly if that is the case, if his, if the story he gives is accurate, then you know they really sabotage that movie on him or sabotaged. 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 <laughs> you say sabotaged. I say sabotaged.
4: Yeah. No, his his explanation of what happened to that. Is totally, sounds totally accurate. Now, maybe, maybe what we're not, he didn't put on it is maybe he had to pay the director of that movie a little extra. He didn't have the special effects budget. Shatner directed that one. Exactly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) uh, Stepped right into that one.
4: (laughs) And, uh, but the, 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 The story that, I mean, that's exactly how it was. You know, you you storyboard up your special effects and then you hire a special effects house to do it. And they just hired some special effects house, you know, to do the Star Trek effects. And it ended up looking like terrible optical printer work because it was and just cheap because, hey, you if you don't have the money to hire industrial lights and magic and you've been hiring them for a lot of the other movies or similar quality, it's going to show up like a sore thumb. Same thing with the Superman movies, you know, mm-hmm. when the when all of a sudden the matte lines were not as clean as they were before and the special effects obviously didn't have the, the you know, the miniature work was a little more obvious and japan-like you know you could tell they were just and it's because the studio is going hell this these movies have their goodwill people are love to see them you know if if we get if if we pay less money into it and they still make money then that's more money that we have for cocaine and and that everybody was, wins <laughs> Or or hookers, you know. It could be either one of the two. I don't know, but it's one of the two. And and there you have it. And and it's easy to beat up on genre movies, you know. I don't know. For some reason, James Bond has never gone like ah, you're all, you got to do a, a a low key, low budget James Bond.
2: Only when they did Never Say Never Again, you know. Yeah. Which, which I actually don't, you know, I, I'm I'm not on on board with all the people who hate on that. I actually I liked like that, that movie, movie. Actually, I, I think really it has enjoyed some, some it. Positives to it, and uh, I, I, you know, considering when it was made and you know what it had, special effects wise, I thought it was still done, you know, pretty slick on and for the time it came out. I think the best example of of a series that every movie. They cut the budget more and more, uh, is the Planet of the Apes series. Oh, yeah. 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 And we'll talk about that much, much more in depth, I guess, next year.
1: (laughs) Or soon. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website www.2TrueFreaks.com. Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. (laughs) Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2 True Freaks is always spelled
4: T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the
1: shows on our feet with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available...